Bam. We're live. Hey, um, hi, good morning. Good morning. Oh, you got a red one of those? Yeah. Um, I, I was, I was looking, um, uh, when we first started working, when I first started doing the podcast with, uh, Hey, Graciano, good morning. Matt, when I first started doing the podcast with, um, uh, Fraser, um, O'Keefe sent me a shitload of, uh, hard work pays off shirts. Nice. You know what I mean? The HWPO ones. Yeah. I, I, well, I don't, I can't stand Nike. So I don't ever wear them like in public. They turn into my my nighttime shirt. I think it's just a shit company. Um, I think they're bad guys, but uh, <laughs> but they come in different colors. So I was thinking the Sevon podcast shirt should come in different colors. Yeah, for sure. I think that once we get that first one going, we got a bunch of cool ideas, colors, exclusive designs, or I should hey, say, limited runs. My DMs are filling. With stuff, um, not does Kotler look like the meme guy? The who? The meme guy? Oh, my best friend. <laughs> that um, my my DMs yeah, are filling with screenshots of DMs people are having with him. It's fucking amazing. That's awesome. He was great. It's great conversation. No, not Kotler. The other guy. Hi, Graciano. Oh. <laughs> I, 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 I really want to. I, I'm so excited about tomorrow's live call-in show. I have so much funny shit, fun stuff. I, I just give you an example. He's telling people that Greg's house in Santa Cruz was 11 million dollars when it was 1.7 million dollars. And someone, and then, and then it's a whole list of other things this guy's saying about Greg. And I go, the equivalent of that lie, mischaracterization of saying a house is 11 million versus 1.7 million is the characterization of everything he says. <laughs> it's nuts. I mean, it, it's sad. I really don't want to talk about him. Anyway. Hi, Graciano. What's up, dude? Not much. How's your morning going? Awesome. I was, I was showering just now thinking about what an adult Matt Souza is and what an adult I am not. <laughs> he we crossfit used to do this thing um this thing called crossfit health and they would bring in experts from all over the world and talk about the ills of modern medicine and they would be like doctors and scientists and just like show shit like hey you have to have a thousand people take statins for there to be like a point zero 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 one percent piece of evidence that statins actually work and then they would break it down and just talk about how pharma manipulates you and how it's and uh Sousa would sneak into those because matt Sousa owns at crossfit livermore and i because he's an adult he liked that shit i worked at hq i was best friends with greg and i hated it i was like the little kid it's like his parents were making him go to the ballet i was like are you fucking kidding me it's saturday it's a fucking saturday and sunday over the summer <laughs> you want me to listen to these doctors talk like i already know i already know like i don't need to know that i already know don't eat eat lollipops <laughs> i enjoyed those i'm when my kids turned oh. it took me three times before somebody questioned it and they were like who are you <laughs> Danielle Hale was like, who are you why are you here graciano are you inside or are you outside I'm, I, I see a window and i see a backdrop but i can't tell if you're outside or if you're inside that's how crazy your backdrop is uh, i'm inside right now Inside, yeah. I appreciate you choosing a place with great audio. Impeccable. <laughs> this is, uh, so this backdrop, this is my uh, wife's doing. Ah. It, um, um, it took a little work. 
Uh, it needs for for our next podcast we do. You have to cover that whole back wall with foam, so your voice is. <laughs> um, are you close to me? Where are, I'm in Santa Cruz, California. Where are you? I'm in Los Banos, California. Oh, so you are close. Okay, I didn't. Yeah, it's I an just, hour and a half. Okay, and um, do, do you know a guy named Bill Collins? Yeah. You do know Bill? Yeah, I know Bill. Holy shit! Everyone knows small- Bill. Everyone knows Bill around here. Oh, what a small world. This was actually so Bill, when I first when I first came here, you know, I went to the gym and everybody arm wrestled. Yeah, yeah. So I showed up and everyone everyone starts asking me about arm wrestling. Like, hey man, do you arm wrestle? And at the time I'm like, what are you guys what are you guys talking about? What are you, twelve? What are you <laughs> what are you, thirteen? So I was like, no, dude, that's not that's not what I do. And so people people kept bugging me about it, like, oh man, you know what? You guys should check. You should check out the arm wrestling guys and this and that. I'm like, what do you? What's your guys' obsession with arm wrestling? <laughs> so then eventually I met Bill, and then it all made sense. So Bill got all of these guys into arm wrestling. So um, that was like the dominant like niche thing to do. Like if you lifted weights, you had to go arm wrestle. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, they I, had- Go ahead. Well, we have tournaments here at the fairgrounds, and then all of their stuff is blasted everywhere. Yeah. So I met Bill as an old, as he was a little bit older once I met him. Yeah. But I already met him in his fifties. So I'm like, man, this guy's a monster. Yeah. Like, this guy's a total animal. How so, old is Bill? Bill sixty. He's in that ballpark. Man, he looks great. I just we were at a. He's got some Asian genes though too that are keeping him young, right? Like he's like got like he's like Filipino or it's he's got something Latin in him that's like keeping him young looking. His skin doesn't wrinkle. No, he was at he was at, and you know when you're that jacked, you got to shave your arms. Right. <laughs> we were at a wedding, and you don't really know how old he is. Yeah. And so I remember sitting there. You know, he's still doing the bodybuilder thing. Like he's got his arms shaved and stuff. Yeah. And I thought, man, dude, this guy looks good. This guy still looks good. I said, he hasn't aged. He's a little smaller now, but he hasn't aged at all. And then uh, we were trying to figure out his age when we're at the table. Like, man, how old is this guy getting? He's been around. He's been around forever. Yeah. And uh, I think someone thought he had turned 60, but he's got to be he's got to be right around there. In a previous lifetime, I made a movie called Pulling John. It's an arm wrestling movie about the greatest arm wrestler who ever lived. Uh do I, I hear an echo? Is there a YouTube open? You guys hear an echo? I hear an echo. Anyone in the comments hear an echo? Anyway, there was a movie called Pulling John. It's about the greatest arm wrestler who ever lived, John Brzezink. And um, the very first arm wrestling tournament I ever went to, Bill Collins was running it. And he was so polite and so kind. And, but he was, he's, he's a manly man, still a little bit, you know, like, you know, a little standoffish. And over the last, I don't know, it's, it's probably been, it's approaching 20 years now. We've stayed a little bit in contact and he's all, I've always felt like he's a good friend. He, and he always took care of me over the like this five or six years it took me to make the movie, you know, would make sure I was in the know. He's just a great dude. I really, really, really like him. I always thought maybe some there would be somewhere along the line that me, him and I would go into business together. We would think of something and do it together. Like he's that kind of guy. He's a hustler. Yeah, that's that, that's part of his con. He sucks you in because he's such a nice guy. Yeah, yeah, there he is. And yeah. then, uh, you know, for instance, I was new to the area. So he pull, comes in, 
introduces himself and says hi, and then he sucks you in where it's like, hey man, you, you know, you should stop by for this uh, you know, arm wrestling practice. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever go? Did you ever go? I never went. Yeah. You should go and have your feelings hurt. <laughs> well, that's, that's, I said for me, for me, there's nothing in it for me because you guys are going to bring me there and I'm going to get beat. Yeah. No, don't say you guys. I suck. Those, the, they had the, like, arm wrestlers, like seven year old daughters were beating me as a grown man. It fucking sucked. <laughs> I'm telling you. Uh, didn't you arm wrestle Hobart in the, like, Tahoe thing? Yeah. And, and he, I wrestled James Hobart once and there's video of it and it's a really close contest. And then I asked him like, you know, 10 years later and he said, Hey dude, I was just fucking, that's all an act on my product. I just <laughs> destroyed you. I'm like, Oh, that's he's sucks. a good dude. Yeah. <laughs> I am um, Graciano Rubio popped up on my radar because I was following, um, the Dave Castro, who's the former director of the, um, uh, CrossFit games and the future director of the largest, uh, fitness competition in the world and um he, Graciano, dave had posted something of graciano's and it was graciano I, th- I think the first time i saw him he did isabel at 3 30 and and then i called dave i'm like is this real and like we, we had a little talk about it we were tripping on it like how weird it was and then over the years dave has, has reposted a lot of stuff um graciano's done and uh graciano has um y- you own a gym valley valley crossfit or deer valley yeah, CrossFit Valley View. Valley View, Valley View CrossFit. CrossFit Valley View. And so um, uh, Graciano walked into um, Valley View CrossFit, um, started hitting on the coach, um, married her, and then now he's part owner of that gym and got a kid out of her. And, man, your wife is uh, something else. Accurate? Yeah. Huh? Is that all accurate? Your wife something. Well, let's just start with the last thing I said. Is your wife something you <laughs> nice or what? You're 100% accuracy so far. Okay, good. Um, How about that podcast you did with that dude? Which one? Uh, The one where you can't tell who's the host. He's like, hello, <laughs> uh, I'm here with Graciano Rubiano. Uh, Graciano, tell us about yourself. And you're just like, uh, I was like, holy shit. I wonder if I could do that to a guest. <laughs> just invite someone on and be like, tell me about yourself. <laughs> Go ahead. Wasn't that was that weird? Uh, it was a little bit. <laughs> it's weirder than this. You know this think, is pretty weird, and it's weirder than this. <laughs> I think for especially for podcasting, it's a difference between um, you know people that kind of make it personal and people that are doing it like for a business type of affiliation. So you mm. feel like when you're doing it as part of like a brand or a business, like you kind of have to. Um, you know, just the way that you speak is a little bit, a little different in terms of kind of the showmanship of it. Like the, the, you can't just kick back and just ask random questions. It's more of like a, you know, keep it, keep it on topic, keep it professional, you know, make it sound nice. When most people just want to hear like, what is this person like outside of, you know, what's on display? So every top podcast I know of, that's how they flow. Yeah. It's yeah. like there's no rules to this thing. You just that's the that's the beauty of it. Yeah. This isn't this is less curated. I, I hadn't listened to really any podcasts until about the last six months ago. 
I probably in my life, I probably listened to the great Joe Rogan for a total of, I don't know, an hour. Um, and then really no one else. And, and, and the only reason why I was listening to Joe Rogan is because, you know, this, oh, this fucking echo. Where's that coming from? I'm going to mash somebody. <laughs> Not you, Graciano. You're too big to mash. No one on this call, actually. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's um, it's a trip. Now I listen to a shitload of podcasts. I listened to Justin. We had Justin Collar on yesterday and I listened to three and I was just tri- I'm just tripping on him like I'm, it's so cool that I never listened to one before I came on this. You listen to him? You know what? I really started during uh, during quarantine. I listened to a lot more. Yeah. I mean, I listened to them before that, but they're kind of um, kind of sporadically. And yes. Started, so, yeah, two years ago, I started listening to quite a few more. Yes, the Isabel video is bonkers. Teddy, a shit ton of the videos are bonkers. Yeah, yeah. So many of the videos are bonkers. Uh, by the way, guys, um, those of you who listen to the show, I hear from every guest. I swear, like, like, um, what's it called? Like drum work? Like, what's the word? There's some phrase for it. Like e- every um, every guest is like, holy cow, your audience is amazing. After the podcast, they jumped into my DMs. They told me how much they like me. And I I assume that you guys equally jump into the DMs of douchebags. So you guys are quite the uh, – we're such a small crew that we are. You guys are quite uh, aggressive in a good way, in a good way. The same way the gophers are aggressive in my backyard. When you when, when did your Instagram account blow up, Graciano? When, when, when did you start? Like, let me see how many followers he has. Do you have like twenty thousand followers? Yeah, twenty thousand, twenty point one. Yeah, it's weird that a dude just out of Los Banos just working out in his in his uh, local gym. For those of you who don't know, Los Banos is a small town, man, in the middle of nowhere. Um, when, when did you? What what happened that caused your Instagram to blow up? There was well, there was two things. First. Uh, Castro dropped into the gym because he was out duck hunting. So it was that it was the first time I did Isabel at three thirty, and then I started making um, started doing reels on Instagram. Oh, so I started putting stuff in shorter form, and then it starts getting circulated more by Instagram. Mm-hmm. And then it takes off because that's the that's the main way people discover new things is they look through the reels or they pop up like that. So before it was just people that I, that I had known, like, you know, local competitions or that you run into um, and maybe their friends they are like, Hey, check this guy out. But then it was first sharing that video and then it's all the reels. So they're all, you know, 15 seconds. It's easy to, to look at and check out. Whereas before I'd always post up like, you know, longer videos or stuff that just gets buried somewhere that no one ever sees. It, um, th- this podcast that I was making fun of that Graciano does, it actually, after about 10 minutes, it really starts picking up, by the way. And if you want to hear a bunch of, I'm sure we're going to get into a bunch of it today, uh, but if you want to hear some really cool thinking around uh, working out, um, it, like I, I I rode the assault bike yesterday and did a workout and listened to it and I and it was it was really really cool especially if I was younger and I was still doing some of that shit it would be it was fascinating one of the things he talks about is that um he does Isabel at three thirty in twenty minutes under twenty minutes 
And he explains to the guy that during that time, each lift takes four seconds. So he's only working out for two minutes in the totality of the workout and the importance of what you do that other 18 minutes. And I thought that was just fascinating. I, I and, and you never failed a single lift. You told that guy out of 30, 30 um, consecutive attempts at three thirty. Correct. 30 straight makes. Yeah, and kudos yeah. to that guy. I was making fun mm. of him, but what a great observation. Are you surprised that you didn't fail one? No, because you kind of have to make all of them to make that time. Like as soon <laughs> as you as soon as you fail one, you you gotta pick up the pace too much. So if you're going every 40 seconds, you fail one. Now you gotta start going like every 37 seconds or so. Like that pace ramps up real quick. So if you fail one and you're basically over, you can maybe you can maybe miss one and recover, um, but you certainly can't miss more than one. Yeah. Then the workout, the pace that you got to go to finish it out is just way too fast. It, 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 what is your greatest feat of strength in your mind? The one you're most proud of? That one was the hardest. I definitely say that one was the hardest. Everything is, else is a shorter term, so. You know, you might suffer for 20 seconds or 30 seconds or something, but you're in pain like from minute three on. It, uh, wow. Oh, and you did the – is that the last one? Yeah, that was the last one. Yeah, I really like that one-legged uh... – <laughs> Was that impromptu or was that planned? Uh, that was impromptu. That's actually – it was – so people now know it. There's a Chinese lifter that does it. But I picked it up from, if anyone's followed Strongman for a long time, I picked it up from Jesse Morunde. Because mm. I grew up in Oregon, and Jesse Morunde was from Washington. So Jesse Morunde back then would do that on some of the overhead lifts. And so that was the first time I had ever seen it. Because the guy was a the guy was a good weightlifter, so when he did strongman, he was doing things like push jerks, which in strongman was was kind of weird at the time, you know, to do like an axle or something, or a lot of them are doing like a push press or some kind of odd, you know, stiff variation of it. So he would use his explosiveness to win those overhead events, and he's kind of a taller, you know, not a little more lanky than your your typical competitor so he would do the one leg um stand at the end and that was the first time i had ever seen it i thought oh that is that is the perfect display of like you just got your ass whooped <laughs> the perfect taunting of like i'm at the, i'm just at a different level on this event so that was the first time i had ever seen it and i think he had picked it up from some some other weightlifter from you know decades ago or something so that was my introduction to it and so I picked it up when when you're when you do like an overhead event in strongman. That's like the that's just like the cherry on top. Like yeah, yeah, you're not gonna you're not gonna match this one. A display of domination. I think the first <laughs> right. time I I think the first time I saw it was with uh, John North over at Cal Strength back in the day when like him and Donnie Shankle and uh, when Glenn Penley was uh, still still at um, at Cal Strength as well too. So I don't know who the weightlifter is. I'm not a I'm not a historian, but I'm sure I'm sure someone knows like where that originated. But um, that goes back a long time. Mm -hmm. and I haven't hey. been I haven't been able to find out where that where that really started at. Hey, how do you end up in Los Banos? 
you're born in you're born in Salem. You went to school in Oregon, correct? College, correct. And how how do you end up in Los Banos? So I had taken I had taken a break from school, and my uh, my dad, my whole family works in construction. So this job pops up in California, and because it's an Oregon based company, no one really wants to go. So he said, my dad, you know, called me up and was like, Hey, if, uh, if you want to come, you know, I can get you in on this job because a, a job this far away, no one's going to want to go to, that's going to be easy to, to bring you along. So at the time I was working, I was working at the post office delivering mail and they had this uh, career freeze. So you were, you know, I was making decent money but there was no, uh, there's no benefits attached to it. It's like, you're not getting all the good stuff that for, for why you work as a, as a mailman. So I said, well, then it's just a, which is like what, like health insurance and tenure and uh, and like retirement and all that. Your pension, your insurance, you're not getting all that. They're just writing you a bigger check and saying, Hey, you know, we can't hire as a, as a career position, but we need people to go out and deliver the mail. So I said, um, you know, it's just the decision of where am I going to make more money? So I was at, I was there in Newport, Oregon. And in my head, I thought this place is not where I want to spend the next few decades. But in California, you know, California is about 10 times the size of Oregon. Longer term, there's going to be more opportunity there. So I'll make more money. I'm closer to where I eventually want to be. So I ended up coming down here and we, it was to build a water treatment plant. Uh, so there's a water treatment plant, maybe 20 minutes away from where I'm at now. And you can I see it from here. the freeway, right? I'm pretty sure I've seen it when I drive by. Can you? Maybe. Okay. Maybe it'll be, it'll be in the distance. Okay. So I came down and then this place at the time I was going to a commercial gym and eventually I said, man, I can't take this place anymore. Um, what was it? Was it a gold or something? What does Los Banos have or just a mom and pop Globo gym? No, there's a, there's a chain that's in shape. It's a chain local to okay. California. Okay. So okay, I don't know it. They had one of those. And eventually I thought I'm simply wasting too much time to get my workout done here. And then ended up coming to a CrossFit gym. And then that's how my whole CrossFit experience started. I needed a place that I could get ready for a strongman competition where I wasn't spending half my workout waiting on people, standing around, people in the way. And then I started slowly doing some CrossFit. Um, Obviously, I met my wife and ended up staying, staying here. Um, so, so let me see if I can, uh, see what I just gleaned from that. You, you were a postman in Newport, uh, Oregon. Um, you wanted to get out of there. Your dad was in the construction business. He offered you a gig down in California. You're like, okay, you picked up, you came down here. How long was that? And, and then at this point, you're already a professional strongman. No, that came afterwards. Okay. And then, and how long did that gig take to build that water treatment plant? That was about two years. Oh, that's a good gig. Yeah. And then what, and, and what do you do now? What's your, what's your, what's your vocation now? So I run the gym and then I also manage money for people. Are you an accountant? 
No, I'm an investment advisor. Gotcha. So I, I own an RIA and then I help people uh, manage their money for retirement, you know, other investment purposes. You what an RA? RIA. It's, in a, it's just an investment advisory firm. Okay. That's the that's the technical name of it. Yeah, you have a you have a very unique cadence to to the way you speak that that makes me seem like you might have some sort of specialty like that. Like you're very accurate with your words. <laughs> yeah, you have to be you have to be pretty clear. Yeah, you can't have like too many O's or not enough O's, zeros, right? You can't even call them O's; they have to be zeros. <laughs> Also, if he talks too fast, I get to think he's like a, he's like a slick salesman type, you know, and that's not the, that's not the reputation you want with a uh, investment advisor there. Yeah. You're going to think you're getting conned. They're just put exactly. out a bunch of words. So it sounds right. <laughs> and then I'll sign right here. Do you do, Bitcoin, do you do Bitcoin, Graciano? Me personally? Yeah. You personally. Me personally, I do. But not, not for investment purposes. Uh, for education just to learn you you dabble in it to learn or educational um more for more for cryptocurrency as a tool in general in terms of of how it can be used so like purchasing heroin from china and bringing it here no that's freedom (laughs) um uh, what are you tripping at all on it right now are you excited as it fucking just just points at the bottom and just goes straight into the fucking ground. Are you excited? Does that, do you see that as opportunity? Yeah, I, I, so cryptocurrency as an investment, I don't care about whatsoever. It's more of the, it's more of the way that it can be used as a social tool Mm. that I care about. So I think that all the hype gets, everything that gets talked about, like 99% of what gets talked about is using it as a way to make more money. Right. You're talking and about a way for more freedom. So they care about, they care about them getting rich, but they don't see how it can be used. It's function as an actual currency for the betterment of humanity. You're saying correct. So um, there, there's some top guys like Jack Dorsey's one of them. There's a few other people. They start talking about it and I think yeah. it goes over most people's head. Yeah, and they're like, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 whatever. We don't really know what, what you're talking about. Um, but that, to me, is where it's more valuable. Isn't it weird that Jack Dorsey would be interested in that aspect of cryptocurrency, of its true value, the way you're talking about it, when he's such a um, closed-minded racist bigot? <laughs> well, I can't speak on that part. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 seem, it, it seems inconsistent. It seems so. I think part of it is that I, I actually do believe. See, I do because I, I, I listen to the Joe Rogan podcast. Okay. I do believe his take, which is Dorsey, the individual is different than Dorsey, the, uh, you know, the public figure. Mm. So when he's running Twitter. He's got to do some things that are a little different than than how he is personally. I only hate Jews when I'm at the concentration camp at my house. They're fucking welcome. Bring them in. Bring them in. Bring them in. Bring them in. My, I, I, when I go to the KKK rally, I just, I just put it. It's just, you know, so one of we're pretty good. We give 
food to the children and just lunch the occasional black man. But but my neighbors are black and and I like them and and I let them borrow my lawnmower. I don't know. Hey, man. that that goes with what I was saying. It's, it's too much of a. It's too much of a. Um, I mean, I, and I'm open to be like, hey, Savon, you don't see the big picture. Really, what he's doing is blah, blah. I'm, I'm totally open to like, hey, because we're surrounded by people who look at the world through a paper towel roll, right? Like this. And they can't right. see the big picture. But man, Jack Dorsey's done some bad shit. Hey, don't don't uh, listen to what they say. Watch what they do. Okay. That's the biggest thing. People like symbolism in theater, but their actions always say a little bit differently. It's pretty fascinating. Did you – the Joe Rogan thing is fascinating, isn't it? It – the whole thing is odd to me. Just the, just the whole thing. Because the people that criticize it don't ever listen. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a, that's a good point. I'm they also not talking about how his friends are reacting too. All the reactions are so superficial to me. A bunch of people are sending me – there's a guy. He's a neuroscientist, Sam Harris or something. Mm-hmm. And I, and people keep sending me his reaction, and I listened to his reaction yesterday. And there's like there's no depth to anyone's reaction. Jocko Willick's reaction is absurd. I, I mean, I don't listen to his podcast, and I don't know anything about him. But man, he's like his reaction is shows no intellectual fortitude, no strength. No, I'm just like, and, and by and, and I'll be more specific. They're having their reaction to Joe. Like they're not looking at it like in a deeper in a deeper essence. Like what did Joe really do? Like, no one wants to be like, what, what is the, let's talk about the planet of the apes joke. Let's talk about the words he used. Like no one's, everyone's like, well, my react, Joe is actually a great guy. I know he drinks too much and I know he does too much ayahuasca, but really we should give him, it's like, dude, what, like, what, like who cares about any of that? Like, I, I feel like you have to be, I feel like we're, when people react to it, they're just addressing the lowest common denominator, the dumbest people in the room. Do, 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 am I, are you following me? Yeah. I think part of that, especially the kind of the surface stuff. Yeah. I think that people are defending themselves. Ah, oh, well if said. You can, if you can, de- yes. if you can cancel Joe Rogan. Yes. With that level of audience, you can cancel anybody. Yes. So when they put this out there, they're not thinking like in terms of Joe Rogan. Yes. The stuff that they've done. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, I'm worse than Joe Rogan. So <laughs> I'm going to jump in and defend Joe on this other stuff because they're looking at it like this is this is starting to be where you got to draw your line in the sand. If and- someone just needs to say someone powerfully, he didn't do anything wrong. Shut up. And then explain why he didn't do anything wrong. Explain how words work. Explain how protecting that word is actually at the essence of systemic racism. Explain the logic. Put put turn it into a mathematical equation. Yeah, but that's like just explain it to people. Like, hey, you're you're on the wrong side of history by by persecuting Joe. All I like you're doing is 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 empowering these. Words. I mean, it's just it's, it's no one wants to have that discussion. I like Graciano's take on it. I think he's on to something. Yes, that they, yes. they all are just saying, hey, we're kind of putting this up and defending ourselves a little bit, but they don't want to go yes. in depth because the more in depth they go, the more it's going to open them up to the attack. Yeah. So I actually every time someone says N word, I want to fucking punch them in the face. Like, like y- y- you're part of the problem. You're, you're just be- you're scared to say the word too. you're. Don't talk about that subject at all if you're not comfortable with it i'm totally cool with that some guy wanted to call and justify pedophilia on my show the other day i'm like hey dude i don't have that discussion that's really? one of the ones i don't have you weren't here for that the live call-in show no i told oh. me tell me you please hung up on him 
Yeah, I told him. I said, I absolutely okay. will not talk about that. Kids need to be protected at all fucking costs. He was trying to justify, like, why it's okay for a 19-year-old to sleep with a 16-year-old or something oh. like that. Like, And I'm like, hey, oh. dude, I don't – like, I have kids. I'm not interested in anything. I'm like – I'm, I'm, I'm interested in protecting kids at all costs, at all costs, even if it means sacrificing the elderly. Kids are kids are everything. God. They're all we have. <laughs> And especially, especially young women should be protected at all costs. Yeah, especially. And if you don't know, if you don't know that, anytime you're you, sorry, Graciano. Anytime you have a question about whether something should be done to women or not, just remember you have a mom, a sister, and uh, a daughter, and just start plugging them into those roles. Just start plugging them into those roles. Always plug your pl- plug your mom into that role. Would you want any of that shit being done to your mom? Talked about, but your mom. That's why mom jokes are so good. <laughs> yeah, that's you. You're you're saying good shit. Yeah, that is the truth about crypto, and that is the truth about how why we're seeing so many shallow reactions. I really like that. Well, yeah, I think this. Well, it really started. You know, now that we're on a similar. Well, similarly, COVID. You got to pick your team. This is the same thing. Like, you're going to have to pick your team. You're either pro Joe or anti Joe. Like, this one isn't going to, this one's not leaving any room to be in the middle. Uh, <laughs> we, have, we need to have free discussion and thought, and, and no one ever thinks. So, let's say we get rid of Joe and he's gone. Right. You know, all these people who listen to his podcast, where do you think they're going to go? God, I hope they come to my podcast, please. <laughs> they're please not I beg of go. you. I beg of you. You know, they're not just going to stop listening to that content. Right. So if you're really thinking like, oh, we're going to get this, you know, misinformation or all this stuff off. Um, that's not going to happen. They're just going to they're going to get that information from somewhere else. That's right. And likely it's going to be worse. It's going to be a worse source of information than than Joe Rogan. So if you're really trying to, you know, jump in and you know, protect people because they can't make decisions for themselves. You're going to send them down the rabbit hole of the internet. Yeah. But now they got to, you know, they're going to see someone else and that person may not, that person may not be as fair as Joe Rogan. You know, that person may be a bit more biased. That person might actually present the information in a worse way. And so you don't really have, it's not like an either or thing. It's just a trade-off. Uh, uh, excuse me. Uh, that is not true. <laughs> the, the, this is not true. Jim Cleese, Sevan did not hang up on him. He talked for about another 10 minutes about other stuff. He presented four talks. I should have hung up on him right away. Anytime someone like people call on or bossy with me, I should just hang up on them. I'm the boss, but, um, he presented me four topics of discussion. I picked one. And then when we were done with that one, he tried to circle back to fucking banging people who are underage. And that's when I hung up on him. <laughs> Jim Cleases did tattle on me to Daddy Rosa. There is a <laughs> hey. He had Sanjay. He had Sanjay on, and and and, and kudos to Sanjay for coming on. And he gave Sanjay mo- enough rope to hang himself. And Sanjay did hang himself. I did. I I, I don't understand the the. I mean, it de- the, who else could he have on? Be- that's the head of the propaganda machine. I mean, I thought. Um, I, I was a little disappointed for Joe to say that he doesn't. He he needs to be more balanced than his guest because he was a fucking Bernie supporter, and 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 Bernie is all about um uh he's all about the welfare state, 
He's all about taking money from people. He th- believes the government can spend money better than me and you. Well, and it's, it's 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 nuts. And, and Joe Joe and Russell Brand and these people, um, uh, are uh, Bill Maurer. They're slowly realizing that like you think it's okay to make all these laws against smoking, right? Because smoking is bad, but it sets precedence for all of a sudden if you don't like white people. Now you can set all these laws against white people. Like you have to remember every time we set a law, it sets precedent for something. And so uh, um, I, and I remember thinking that cause I was, I was a hardcore liberal in Berkeley and all these smoking laws were passing. I'm like, man, this is like some Nazi shit. Like I'm not for smoking. I don't think people should smoke. But like, this, like you can't, you have to stand out in the street to smoke. Well, now they're trying to, now they're trying to ban jewel. Yeah, this is crazy. This is not how this is not how you win a game. Someone put up a someone put up a joke mm-hmm. where they said, "Well, we have this healthier plant-based alternative." <laughs> <laughs> so they're like, you know, we can stop smoking Juul and go back to this plant-based alternative. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> and it's not like people are going to stop using nicotine. Right. They're going to keep using it. It's a powerful drug. It's a great drug. It's very power, very unique in its properties and its effects too. Did you ever chew? No. No? Do you ever smoke? Nope. I'll do a cigar occasionally. I don't shoot because the first time I did it, I, I threw up everywhere. Yeah, me too. And I was like, oh, I'm not doing this again. This is stupid. Yeah. No, no, that's when that's when you go harder. <laughs> Lean into that. <laughs> I barfed the first time I smoked a cigarette, but that that didn't quit. I'm I'm no quitter. So there was there's actually there's a vac a very uh, unpopular politician that came out against, you know, the smoking bans, you know, that the government shouldn't be telling you what you can and can't do with your body. Yeah. And that this creates a slippery slope because if we say, Hey, you're not able to smoke, you know, at what point does the government step in and say, Hey, you can't eat a cheeseburger. Right. Because Mm -hmm. that's harmful to you. Yes. Hey, that's coming. They're trying that. Is it absurd as that sounds? They're trying that. At what point do they, you know, knock on your door and make sure you got your daily exercise? Mm. So this was this this was written like twenty plus years ago, and it said, you know, if you're here cheering on these smoking bans, you're gonna have to be okay when when they step up and tell you what you can eat and how you have to move. So he said, you better not be eating a cheeseburger behind your computer right now, mm-hmm. reading this in favor of a smoking ban. Right. Because right. it's the same. It's the same idea. It's based on the same principles. Right. Mm-hmm. And then now here we are 20 years later. And so those things are coming true. What is the word for that? What is is that? Is that philosophy or ethics? What is the word for that when people are looking through the world through a paper towel roll and they can't see the big picture? Like they can't see that if you stop, tell people to stop doing this, you have to recognize that the bigger picture, the precedent is, is eventually you can stop them from doing everything. That's why you have to allow hate speech to people because what you see is not hate speech today will be seen as hate speech tomorrow. That's why like you can't be like if someone's on the street corner screaming God is a piece of shit, we have to let them scream that like you like what like you're looking for a perspective. Well, yeah. What is there? There must be some there must be like some like um, word is for it? like, yeah, m- no, myopic. But there's 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 like it's like um, f- uh, philosophy will have like it's called the uh intelligent intelligent perspective uh fallacy or there's got to be some um 
there's we we need an ethic. We need we need a smarter host for this show. <laughs> uh, um, whose legs do you have? Do you have your mom's legs or your dad's legs? Probably my mom's. Yeah. Um. What does she say about? Is your mom still around? Yeah. What does she say about your legs these days? Does she ever comment about your legs? No, she's the only comment is that uh, I look like my grandfather. Oh, that's nice. That's kind of cool. But that's about it. And, and are both your what what what's your makeup? Are both your parents the same ethnicity? No, my mom's white. My dad's Mexican. Oh, really? Yeah. Who who's uh who? How did you get the name Graciano? That's his name. Your your grandpa's name. My dad's name. Your dad's name. Oh, that's so you're Graciano the second. Yeah. And what's your son's name? Do you have a son? Yeah, I'm a five year old. Name Magnus. His? Magnus. I like that name. You, um, you were talking to the gentleman on the podcast about um, how your brother was 11 years older than you, and he benched 315, and you had made that your goal um, to to bench more than 315 because your older brother did it. And then you drew that to why it's important for you to be a good role model for your son because you want your son to aspire to beat what um, – wow, um, this is really weird. Do you mind if I answer this really quick? This is a trippy phone call. I, I apologize. This is your podcast, uh, Graciano, but this is a weird phone call. Uh, uh, Tony, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Uh-oh. Are we in trouble? I, uh, <laughs> no, I uh, told Colton after uh, oh, that last podcast a couple days ago, somebody called in that supposedly me. I said, I'm going to call him and tell, at least tell him my name's not Dick. Yes, yes. Uh, Graciano, I apologize. Uh, one of the um, major topics of the Sevon podcast is a gentleman named Colton Mertens out of Iowa. And um, we had an impersonator call as Colton's dad the other day and said his name was Dick Mertens. I apologize for that. I will block that man forever. This is actually Colton Mertens' dad, uh, Anthony Mertens. <laughs> yeah, this was him. I bet Colton's anxiety level just went through the roof. He's probably, he's probably, he's probably listening. <laughs> Joe Rogan ain't got shit on me. Anthony yeah. Mertens. Oh, Mr. Mertens. Good shit. morning. Uh, how, 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 how is Colton? Uh, how is Colton? How come Colton, Graciano, do you mind if I ask Mr. Mertens a few questions? You feel, okay. Uh, uh, what, 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 why is your son so quiet, Anthony? What, what, why is he um, such a smart, um, you know, uh, what do they call him? In, are, are introvert. What happened? I don't know. He, he uh he was always quiet, you know, when he was little. Uh you know, it's kinda funny, you know, when we work together around the farm, he's always kinda quiet. So I always think he's mad about something or or something on his mind, so I'll, I'll ask him, say, Cool, what's the matter? He's like, Nothing. I said, Well you act like you're mad. Well, I ain't mad. Okay. So a little bit later I say, Cool, are you mad? He goes, God damn it, well, don't get fucking mad, you don't quit asking me. <laughs> <laughs> so he he's the type of kid that he, he doesn't get he doesn't get mad very easily, but when he's pissed, he's pissed all day. So that's what the kind of joke with his little brother and me. You know, if we uh, work together and Cody makes him mad, I always say, Cody, God damn it. Now I got to work with him all day and he's pissed. <laughs> so, Did you go through a phase like that as a kid? I think that's just something that some boys go through, right? Like he's just like, uh, they, they, they go, they go, it's the journey inward. Was he ever outward? Yeah. Kid? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. I was kind of a, 
Oh, I, I think I was a little angry back at times back in the day. Hell, I still get angry, so I mean, I don't know. Uh, Not at him, though. He's too big and strong now. No, actually, you know, with Colton, uh, you redirected towards person. your younger son. You beat him now. No, it's uh, he Colton. You know, if uh, something's going wrong with Farmer, if I think he screws something up, and I uh, say something to him, he don't say much. He just he gets that look like, like you know, you're you're just crazy old man. Shut up, and then he doesn't <laughs> say much. You know, and my youngest brother or his younger brother Cody, he's the opposite. He's if I say something to him, he's like he'll tell me, yeah, he's like, shut up, Dad, you're just you're nuts. Like Colton don't say nothing, but you know he's thinking it. But so we don't argue. We don't, you know. And, and Colton leaves the house. He kind of got his schedule. He he gives me my orders, and then I don't see him for better part of the day. <laughs> um, so my my mom just is in the comments too. My mom just said, "Hi, Mr. Mertens, you have a great son. I understands he re he reads a lot. Did he get that from you? You don't have to answer that, Mom. Uh, start your own podcast, please. Um, no, no, <laughs> no go I ahead, go ahead. No, Does I he don't. get that from you, Mr. Anthony? You know, I don't know. Uh, I think he kind of started that in college. Uh, he, he doesn't even at home. He hardly, he hardly ever watches TV. He, he'll be doing something on his phone or he's listening to something. He's he's kind of all about the, the you know, the self betterment type thing. Yeah, me too. So he's trying to always improve, and uh, he doesn't waste all the time, you know, watching TV or so. He just reads. How much um, weed does he smoke? How much weed does he smoke? He doesn't smoke anything. I know. I'm pretty sure he don't. But um, yeah. Uh, Logan Mars in the comments says this isn't Dick Mertens. He's a fraud. Uh, <laughs> no, this is actually right. the real Mr. Mertens, uh, Logan. Yeah. How dare you? Yeah. I appreciate you calling. Um, you're not allowed to call in on a non-calling show, but you pulled the Mertens card. <laughs> uh, maybe we could circle right. back and talk sometime. Yep, we'll do that. Okay. Thank you for calling in, brother. <laughs> Tell yeah, Colton we we'll love him. All right. Thanks. Okay. Bye. Holy shit! This show has no fucking boundaries. Graciano, is that was that? I, I, I'm feeling really insecure that I interrupted the show with you. Are you? Is that uh, I'm okay? good. Hey, good? Is, the, is the audio better with this? Oh, that you didn't waste yeah. any time. You're trying to work with your audio. I can't tell, but I appreciate yeah, you taking good. that time to. Perfect. Wow. I'm gonna change the name of this podcast. Podcast the Mertens. Incredible. Wow. Man, if my mom so, called in, if my mom called in another podcast and talked about me, I would be so embarrassed. <laughs> not, not that you should be embarrassed, Colton. You're the man. You're embarrassed? That's awesome. Yeah. Um. So, um, you, you have a um. Were your legs always shaped like that, or is that just from muscle? I mean, they're so fucking muscular. Yeah, mostly. I mean, part of that's genetic. Yeah. Part of it is. I was 300 pounds at one point. Your body weight. And how much do you weigh now? Uh, 245. Oh, wow. wow. So at some, when you, when you spend your teenage years lifting as much as you can. Yeah. And then eating everything in sight, you build a lot of muscle mass. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's basically it. I mean. Yeah. yeah those quads are nuts. And those calves, it is nuts. So there's definitely there's definitely a mostly genetic component. Um, but there's a training and lifestyle component to it as well. There's a there's a great video in there, Suze, of him deadlifting and, and just all his junk just sitting on top of the bar too, if you can find <laughs> that. I thought I pasted the link in here, but I didn't. 
Um, and um, why did you drop down from 300 to 245? Was that I'm, I'm assuming you made that an effort. You were like, okay, I'm tired of weighing 300 pounds. How tall are you? Five nine. Okay. Well, hold on, hold on. Let me check my medical chart. Five nine, 300 pounds. Nope, nope, that's bad. <laughs> there was, there was, um, there was just kind of a moment where. I realized that it's not beneficial to strength anymore. And so walking around that heavy is having, it's not producing any strength benefit, but it has a recovery um, cost to it. So just walking around and doing normal stuff, you, you burn more energy. So you can't train as hard. So I just woke up one day and um, was kind of like, I could probably be this strong a lot lighter and if you got rid of this weight for most of the time, then I could train harder. You know, I'd recover more. I could get more training in. So I just woke up one day. It was like a Wednesday. And I said, well, you know what? I'm going to start my diet today. And then maybe three, four months later, I was down like 30 pounds. Hmm. And then it just slowly and steadily went down from there. But there was no, there was no like major moment or major anything. I just woke up one day. I was like, you know, today's the day. I'm going to start. What year? That's probably 2009. Yeah, 2009, maybe early 2010. Uh, you, you, you started lifting. Um, um, well, before I jumped to that, to when you were 14 years old, why, um, what was the, what was in your, in your eating, what were some of the primary things you immediately attacked to start losing weight? What did you do methods? The, the only thing I did was track calories uh -huh. and macronutrients. That was it. I didn't do anything else. Uh, everything was weighed. And then I would do one. I'd maybe do one cheat evening a week, so which were, was usually usually beer. So Saturday night would be like, all right, Friday or Saturday mm -hmm. night, I'm going to go out. All the extra calories are all going to be alcohol, and I just wake up and do it the next day. But there's so, nothing nothing special, nothing fancy about it. Um, keep the calorie to a certain point, eat enough right. protein. That was it. So what did your, without going into the macros, unless you want to, what was your calories? Um, was it just unregulated? Like at 300 pounds, is it like, hey, just eat as much as you want, dude, of whatever oh, yeah. you want? Totally unregulated. Okay. So you, you know, at, at your peak, do you know how many calories a day you were you were eating? Um, or what would you guess? I'd probably guess 5,000. Yeah. Probably so your, to there. your toilet paper consumption went down too. <laughs> a little bit a little bit yeah <laughs> my favorite part about that is you were like it was a wednesday and i just woke up and decided to start because you know and i'm sure i'm sure you know this graciana you hear these people like hey i want to start working on my diet like what do you recommend i buy or like what should i do and you're like start choose to make the decision on your next meal 
and then continue to make that decision on every meal after that. And then the other thing you said, which is just really important, I want to highlight is you're like, yeah, I have my cheat meal. I decided to do it in, in calories with beer. I enjoy beer on the weekend. And then guess what? I woke up the next day and I, and I, I re-jump right back on my diet. And those are, I think, two of the most important takeaways for anybody. Like you don't need it to be a Monday. You don't need to be a January 1st to start. You don't need to buy anything to start. And then when you do have a little bit of a fall off, so to speak, or a cheat day, you don't need to go down the hole of, oh, well, the whole thing's screwed. So now I'm just going to continue down this like downward spiral. You're just like, no, I just woke up the next day and restarted. So I just wanted to highlight those two points because I think that's really important for everybody listening. Word. And the only, and this was before, this is before you had things like my fitness pal. So yeah. I just wrote it down on paper. You buy a digital scale that you get on Amazon now for like 15 bucks, weigh it, write it down, and that's it. Right. <laughs> and even if even if the only thing you do is just write it down, even if you're not even concerned about, even if you don't actually follow a plan or anything, just the accountability por- portion of cutting out all the nonsense right there for most people. Like if they if all they do is track, a lot of times we have people track and then they come back and they lose weight and like, what should I change? I'm like, well, nothing, because you're just being honest with yourself now. <laughs> yeah. Like now that you're writing down, this is what I did. You're like, oh, I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't do this. Mm-hmm. So people will, people start tracking, and all of a sudden, they're losing like two pounds a week. And they get to a point that they've, they've actually made significant progress. And then they're like, well, so what should I change? And it's like, well, you should just do what you're doing now. I don't even have anything to tell you, because you're already yeah. – making such fast progress, doing what you already know, (laughs) just actually looking at it and having a spot to be like, this is what I did. Keeps you honest and keeps you on track. So some of our meetings are like, okay, you need to do this. You need to do that. There's a lot of, there's a lot of adjustments that need to be made, but a ton of people, it's literally, if all you do is write it down, that takes care of all your problems. Awareness to it. We had, we had someone that they lost six. We did a challenge in six weeks. They lost like 23 pounds. <laughs> and all it was, was they cut out all the extra like stuff. That's not really a meal. So they didn't put honey in their green tea, which they were drinking like half a gallon of green tea. They didn't add this. They didn't add this. So just an extra stuff that they're not even you don't even think of as as adding calories or adding food or as, as part of your nutrition. They got done with the six weeks and were like, oh, I didn't really change anything. And I'm like, well, what do you mean you didn't change anything? You lost 20 plus pounds. Like obviously you made giant changes. Right. You just you're just not aware of it. So you can go either direction. Like you can go up without being aware of it because there's little tiny things that add up. You can go down without even recognizing it just because of these little tiny changes. Yep. So like if that's, if that's all you did was just be accountable and had an assessment of this is what I'm doing every day. That's it. Yep. Like that's, there's no more, you don't have to get into the mindfulness and the habits and all these other things. If you write it down, you're accountable to yourself. It's a done deal. Yeah. Same with personal finance too. Right. Yeah, if you're if you're honest about do I really need to spend money on these things? Yep. Yep. So for instance, I have a I put 
100%, almost 100% of everything I buy is on a credit card and I pay it off at the end of the month. So there's never a balance on it. But then at the end of the month, I have a sheet. This is everything I bought. So you look back and be like, ooh, like, <laughs> we're going to forget. It. We're going to cross that one out. Right. But when you look, when you review it, you look at it and be like, okay, this is what happened. You know, you have to have, you need to know, you need to have an accurate assessment of what happened in order to make any changes going forward. Mm-hmm. So it's all, the, it's, it's really the same. It's the same idea either way you're doing it. But when it comes to money or finance, it's real simple. There's less emotion involved in there and it's clear cut. Like, Hey, I need to not purchase this or I need to do this. Then with the food aspect, it gets, it gets uh, a little trickier. Fundamentally you're doing the same thing. It's just that you start adding emotion and other, you know, other elements that shouldn't be there, but are, Mm -hmm. and we start making it way more complicated than it needs to be. Someone asked in the comments, what you, if, if you could recommend one financial book, what would it be? What is his best? Uh, uh, Tim, Tim Brown, for, former running uh, wide receiver for the uh, Oakland Raiders. What's, what, what is his best <laughs> financial book? I think he maybe even won the Heisman. Uh, let's see. Most popular one. You know what? My favorite one. I don't know if, it's, if it has the best advice. My favorite one's the wealthy barber. Mm. And it's for it's for a very practical reason. Um, for people who own their own business, and a lot of people, a lot of people are a big fan of Rich Dad Poor Dad. But I'm a big fan of the wealthy barber because it highlights a very specific point, which is you have to live within your means. So there are there's plenty of barbers out there doing really well because they don't have to buy the fancy car and live in the big house and and blow all their money for status. And so they're able to save and invest far more of their money than what uh, some other people are able to do. Is this the book? That's the book. Hey, it's in it's in a Christian bookstore. Is it a Christian book? I don't think so. Oh, they don't talk anything. They don't say anything about religion, but (laughs) it's funny because the only the only um, there's this dude. I I forget his name. He's a black dude. And he's like, he's definitely a Christian dude. It's the only financial book I ever read. I can't remember. I I always confuse him with a a guy named Ramsey, but I think Ramsey was his mentor. Um, uh, Chris Hogan. Yes, yes. Chris Hogan. And it was a pretty. um. I like I like the book. It didn't have anything for me in it, but I really liked the book. Like I was already like aware of all that shit. Like, hey, like if you want money, you better just stop spending money. Like that was basic. It's like, what kind of what you're saying? Stop being a jackass. If you go out to dinner, don't buy the two hundred dollar bottle of wine. You like that was that's six dollars at Walmart or wherever. Um, seven Christians read about finance too. No, no, I, I understand. I understand. But I'm just saying, I'm like that book that I read was like it was like a mixture of like, like you know, um using God to help. Yeah, it was just obvious that the guy was a hardcore Christian. Oh, my mom's chiming. I read the wealthy barber. Excellent. It's not a Christian book though. All right, fine. fine. We'll see. So because I come from, you know, I come from a blue collar background. Yeah. So one of the things, you know, one of the things that people run into now, and it's, it's becoming more and more 
you know, repeated is people, people making the decision between college or trade school. Right. And it's because I've heard this so many times when people say it, they have this weird condescension to it. Like they say it in this, in this oddly condescending manner of like, well, if you know, college isn't for you, like you can do trade school or, Mm. You know, they kind of say it in a way of like, well, if you can't get in or you can't excel in college, like, you know, that's an okay alternative. But the reality today is it's is financially, it's a far better option for most people. Like it just is flat out superior financially. Mm -hmm. Define financially for me. You're saying that financially, when you say the word financially, it's better for them financially. I think at 65 years old, you'll have less to worry about. Correct. You'll have more money. Oh, I hear air sirens. Are you guys being bombed? Oh, no, that's that's our fit aid fridge. But oh, sometimes these pick my up bad. background noise and <laughs> amplify it. You guys okay. being bombed. What's, what's your definition of financially? It's financially better to do the trade school then. So if you view it purely as the money that you put out and how much money you're going to get back, the trade school superior. So someone that goes to trade school, if you're graduating 22, 23 mm-hmm. without debt, because a lot of times you work during trade school. Mm-hmm. So you're going to be 23 making good money with no debt and immediately start putting money away for your future. So right. you're saving unless, you know, unless you blow it and you buy a giant truck and you spend all your money chasing women and other stuff like that. You have the opportunity to put that away. And so let's say you get to 30, 40, 50 years old, someone that went the college route and mm-hmm. instead of making money, they were, they were negative cash flow because they're in college and not working and right. Thursday through Sunday, they're drunk. Then you get, uh, out. uh, come on, come on. Uh, Tuesday, <laughs> Tuesday through Sunday, go on. Then you get out, you're making, you're, you're making less money out of college than that person at trade school. You're just hoping that as you advance in your career, at some point, you're going to be making your as you get promoted and move up, you're going to be out earning them. But at first, you're making less. Most people graduating college are making less than the people graduating trade school. So by the time you're 30, you're just happy that you have your own apartment and your college debts paid off. But this guy that went to trade school at 30, they got they have a down payment on a house. They're married. They're thinking about having their first kid. They're already advanced and they already have money saved. And so when you're able at a young age to put that money away and get it invested and make better decisions early on, those compound over time. So an initial small gain is hard to overcome when you have years for that to compound. Hmm. So when you get to 40, you know, this guy's been putting money away for 15 years. His 401k balance has been has been growing. He's been putting money, extra money away at 40. It's even at 40. It's still hard um, for most college degrees to be ahead of where you would be if you had gone to a trade school. You know, you might be 40 until the time you're actually making the same money. Then later on in your career, okay, now when you're 50, you're making more. But. You can't you can't close the gap because this I had so many years of putting more money away that you can't really close that gap between the two. Hmm. 
Like this, this guy's money's been growing. He's owned his house for another 10 years. He's done all these other things early on in his life. It takes you a long time to close that gap. Yes. Not yeah. to mention if you're so. Especially if you buy a house that you can afford, especially if you buy a house you can afford. You know, to use the, to the example of the wealthy barber, this guy also doesn't have to spend his money impressing people. So when you work in an office and you got all these people showing off and, and you feel like you you're trying to get to that 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 promotion and you're hanging out with your boss who makes three times what you make and you got to go golfing with them. You got to do. All 20, these sorry, things. 20. Sorry, 20 times, 20 times what I make. <laughs> go on. So as you do all that, you're not actually saving any money. You're not any better off. And so that's the that's the difference for, you know, that book, The Wealthy Barber is. You can go to trade school. You can have you live within your means. You're able, especially when you're young, to get a huge leg up. Whereas a lot of the flash, you know, especially when you see stuff on social media, all that glamour, most of that is is fueled through debt. Mm-hmm. So you just you take out loans and you, everything's all debt. They got a giant car payment, huge house payment on more house than they really need all these things to impress people and for status, but you're not really getting yourself in a better position. So that that's where, and that's where, and that's where 65 years old really matters. By the way, you do not want to be fucked up when you're 65 financially by then you want to be like, you want to be chill. Like get it for, for those of you who are in your twenties who are listening to the show or thirties, like shit gets when you, how how old are you Graciano? 30. Yeah. You know too much for being 30. When you hit 45, shit starts to get a little real. I'm not saying you still can't grind, but also if you have kids, there becomes this massive competition for time. Massive competition. You think you think um, going on a diet is hard emotionally. Try, tr- tr- try not spending time with your fucking kids. And you kind of need your 30s. Yeah, you, you, you're, in a, you're in an interesting spot because you need your 30s to grind, right? But you also have the, the the largest emotional engine charge that you'll ever have in your life. You have a child already that you need to spend a lot of time with, right? It yes. requires cra- crazy discipline and balance. Then you really don't want to be fucking around with like drinking and shit like that. Yeah, but I think the ki- you have less energy, but the kids the kids provide you motivation and energy that you wouldn't otherwise have. So- For sure. If you're if it's just you and you only have to take care of yourself, yeah, you just don't push as hard. Yeah, it's hey, as simple they, as that. I was coasting at fucking forty three. That's a great point. I was coasting, you know, you know, like my life was set, and then I had a kid and like everything. Well, and getting fired didn't actually help <laughs> helped a little bit too. But uh, um, yeah, you have a kid and you yeah yeah you're reborn. You're right. You're absolutely so right. when when you're when you're in the thick of it. Yeah. When you're in the thick of it, it feels like, oh, man, this would be so much easier without this, without all these other obligations, mainly being kids. But my wife and I time, would be super rich if we didn't have kids. <laughs> Instead, we're poor. At the same time, you're thinking, you know, as you're doing it, we always look back and be like, man, what was life like without kids? And, <laughs> like, and I think. Wait and Jerry's in a 40. <laughs> I think. uh I'm like, man, how much, how were we, how did we waste so much time? Like, man, we wasted so much time back then. <laughs> and when things got hard, you didn't, you didn't go to that like next level of effort. Like, yeah, we worked hard and, and we got stuff done, but 
once you have kids, everything gets tighter, but then you're able to work harder. Yeah. So it's, you have to take a little time to reflect of like, well, if I, yeah, but if I didn't have that, would I really be willing to work this hard or would I just kind of, kind of mail it in? Like, ah, uh, you yeah. know, today was a good day. I did what I was supposed to do. All right. See you guys tomorrow. Versus that extra pressure pushes you to be better. Graciano, I want to leave two houses for each of my kids in California. And and I would have never had that aspiration. So I have three boys, so I need six houses paid off. And I nice and you know, it's California. And I would have never had that aspiration if I didn't have kids. I'd have been like, all right, well, my mom and dad are gonna die. I'll collect some of their loot, I'll get some of their houses, I'll chill. Me and my wife will hang out and just bone and do CrossFit. <laughs> Peace. You know, like it's, it's a good ass life. I ain't hating on it. I got a great wife. Like it's cool. Yeah, it's, it's, you're right. And it's fun. It's fun having those goals. It's fun. So your the other thing is uh, your high. Well, it's fun, but your highs and lows are also have a bigger range to them. So. Like what do you mean? Explain, higher, explain, explain me. You mean when you have kids? Yeah. Explain that to me. So, you know, once you have kids, like your, like your level of emotion gets way higher, like the peak. So like the good days are way better, mm. but then your bad days are way worse. Yes. So before, before you're like, yeah, you know, today was, you know, today was good. And then your bad days aren't as bad because you're not pressed for time. Uh, you're, you have more money. You're not worried about other people, but then once you have kids, like those good days are superior to all the, all the good days before. Yes. But then the bad days are way worse. Yeah. Bad days aren't even comparable. So for instance, um, our kid lately, like our kid pees the bed. Yeah. It's good. And then when you're at the end That forces you to change the sheets more than once every two months. You go through all your stuff. Yep. Right. At the end of the day, like you get home and you're like, oh man, I got to make this bed right now. <laughs> and the kid, you know, after. So this Do you have a king size mattress? Do you have a king size mattress? Yeah. I'm so happy to hear you say that, that, that you don't like that either. Cause I always feel like such a pussy. The mattress is so heavy for me. And I'm so glad that you don't enjoy making the bed either. Uh, when I was a young man, I used to like putting the sheets on the bed. But now I have a king-size bed, and I'm 49, and I'm like, fuck, this thing is heavy. <laughs> like the most dangerous thing I do every day or anytime I put the sheets on and off. I let my wife do it. She's stronger than me. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. Well, see, this was this was yesterday. She, uh, My kids went to dance, and then they were acting up afterwards. So, like, that low – that low is way lower than it ever would be before because you're getting home pissed off. Then you got to go through the nighttime routine. And then once it's all over, it's like, Oh, now we, now you got to make the bed before they, before they go to sleep. It's like those little things that, that, that night before. Yeah. We would never be at like that level of a low point. Yeah. You might be like, Oh yeah, we got to do the dishes or something or, or we might have some type of, of fight. But then once you add, once you add like hours of work, plus the kids, the kids just like do little things to piss you off all day. Like those lows are way lower than they were before. Right. So it's a, it's a weird, it's a weird experience. 
Like you're just, everything is, is more volatile. Hmm. Are you, are you a religious man? No, no. Yeah. You seem very, um, I wouldn't guess that you were, but, but you never know. And you, cause you're so analytical, you're very analytical, right? Yeah. But you also are very deep. Like, like you, you, you're not, ha- you, you want to scratch the surface. So. Well, see, I, uh, I grew up, my parents, my parents didn't never force me to go to church or any type of religion, but I had a lot of friends that were. So I grew up, there was a large Mormon church in our town. And so I was always, I'm always just curious. So a lot of, a lot of that stuff is, I find that, I find that there's kind of objectively what's right and wrong. You know, and I kind of had the freedom to, to choose for myself. Like, what do I think is right and wrong? So a lot of my friends, you know, friends watching their parents, how they behave, seeing, <clears throat> seeing, you know, how they act and figuring out, you know, not this is right, not because this book says it is, but just because it's the right thing to do. Or this is wrong, not because this this other person or book or, or government says it's wrong. It's wrong because it causes harm to these people. It's wrong yeah, because it has this impact. Religious people mm-hmm. would say, well, what do you care? Where's your moral compass? Like a lot of, a lot of people who like believe in God will be like, well, if we didn't have God, everyone would just be out killing everyone. And whenever they use that argument, I'm like, what? Really? <laughs> like, I don't, I, I, I get sad. I cry when I see someone catch a fish and pull it ashore and I see it's like struggling to breathe. Um, where does it come from then for you that, that I think you called it objective, but it's not, is it objective? Like, how do you know right and wrong? If you're not religious, if you don't, if you don't like look to page 72 of the Bible, is it okay to take this guy's cow? No shit. Like, how do you know? What's your, what's your bedrock? Probably, you know, mostly, you know, you treat others the way that you want to be treated. That's one. <clears throat> so I think that's Didn't Jesus of, say that. Isn't that like the foundation of the Bible or something or no? I don't know. I haven't read it. <laughs> oh, all right. I think it's in almost every religion. Isn't it? <laughs> I know my mom pounded that into me as a kid. Treat yeah. people the way you want to be treated. I mean, that was, that was like, that was the it. Golden rule. The yep. golden rule. The golden rule. Well, there's the, there's, so there's the golden rule. And then I think, I picked it up somewhere in school about the platinum rule of treating other, treating other people the way that they want to be treated. Ah, so ah. there's, you know, that's what I tell my, my wife. My kid wants to be slapped. What are you talking about? He, he, he's, he's asking for it. Well, see, I tell my wife, my wife complains and I said, you're right. I'm treating you the way that I want to be treated. If you did that to me, I'm not going to complain. <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm not going to get upset if you do that. So I'm a hundred percent following the golden rule. <laughs> if you if you want to do that, perfectly fine. You can if, you, if, that, if that's what you want to do at two o'clock. I'm okay with it. I'm not going <laughs> to be upset like you are right now. So I think I think most of that, especially earlier in my life, was about you know treating other people how you want to be treated, or thinking or putting yourself in them in their shoes. But but where does that come from? Why do that? Why not just like how does someone like me or you do know that and and have that feeling or that 
intellectual understanding or like it's just fucking made up these other people are doing it because god told them to do it like why don't we just run around and beat people and take their wallets and be like hey it's just survival of the fittest it's the way it is like what do you think makes it go ahead i think it's an innate human ability you know to know right and wrong to know right and wrong or right i think that you know as humans we are required we're social and we're required to cooperate in order to survive, our, our ability to survive relies on cooperation. Mm. You know, you're not, you're not going to make it very far as a single individual. You at least need a small group. So mm. I think that we're hardwired for cooperation. I think a lot of, a lot of what we do, we don't view ourselves as animals and we don't view things as instinctual. We don't view them as like automatic responses, but a lot of what we do is. And so I think there's there's an innate there's an innate drive to do good. There's an innate drive to treat other people well, because in order and this is purely self-interest in order for you to survive, you need these other people. And so you can't really be a jerk. You can't be unlikable. You can't treat people that way because you're going to get cast from the group. And if you're cast from the group and trying to make it by yourself, you're not surviving. That's a that's a rare exceptional individual that's going to survive 100% on their own for for any length of time. We're also designed in this way. It's kind of like what you said about being humans to to talk about one of the aspects of that is is if I hate you, Graciano, then that hate is inside of me. Mm-hmm. And so there's a there's a price I pay for my bad behavior. Am I willing is my anger towards you because you parked your car on my lawn and broke my sprinklers? Is there like how much hate do I want to give towards you because there's a cost for me emotionally, intellectually, physically, health wise? Like what is that? And we all see it. So many people forget that, too. So like if my when you don't like people, when you don't like your neighbor, let's say like literally your neighbor, there's a price to pay. Every time you pull up in your house, it's uncomfortable, right? And on the most superficial superficial level, there's a price to pay. You don't want to see them when you look over the fence. You don't want to pull up at the same time as them. Do you know what I mean? Whereas if you like your neighbor or if you love your neighbor, it's great every time you see them. I had a friend call me the other day who I used to work at CrossFit with. And, um, and basically I hadn't talked to them in a year because I was really upset with them. And I'd held them to a standard that was probably not achievable for anyone. It was, it, it was, and, and basically he called, he texted me and he said, Hey, we need to talk. So I called him and I was selfishly trying to squash the beef because I don't want to have ill feelings towards anyone. There was a price I was paying for that. There was a price I was paying for having ill feel, ill feelings towards someone. It almost, it, to tell you the truth, I actually have a little bit of concern sometimes when I when I take the piss out of people on this show, and then and that it sticks to them. Like I want them to know, like, hey, it's just a show. I'm just joking. We're just people here. You know what I mean? Like people inside of the community. Because I turn this off and I walk away and I just go to the beach with my kids. So so sometimes I feel bad, like if I take a shit in someone's brain and they're stuck with it for a week. <laughs> Well, I think it's interesting, and I, I'd like to address this comment here because Sean uh, was saying absolutely wrong. Um, look at history, like referring to history, and I'm going to recommend a book as I always usually do. In What's the he referencing there? He was referencing that the he was saying about the innate ability to like how we feel, so that's why we don't attack our neighbor, or, like steal their oh, stuff, right? Oh. And if you read a book called *Sapiens* by Yarol, I can always mispronounce his name, but Yarol Harari. 
Um, it's a brief, uh, I think the name of the book is like a, a brief history of humanity. You'll find that once we started to have more abundance of what we needed for survival, it allowed more room for conscious thoughts because like what oh. Graciana was saying is sometimes we're just reacting, right? So if I'm super hungry or you're going to come after me to get my kids and you need my resources, um, that's it right there. A brief history of humanity or of humankind. Um, there's not a lot of room for conscious thought. And what happens is, is as, and this is on a spectrum that you guys could look up on the conscious level spectrum. Um, it's actually on my uh, Instagram. You could see it there too, but it basically the lower your conscious level of is like anger or if I'm sad or something that's still going to drive me to action, but these are low conscious level reactions. And the more we have as abundance, like we do in the world we live in now, we have more room to have high level conscious and thought, which then allows us to have more room for those feelings of the innate good in which you are talking about. So if you read that book, that'll help give some more insight to that. And I don't believe that it, it has as much to do with uh, religion, although that played a massive part in it. It mostly had to do with our resources and then our communication. And the biggest thing that separates us, and he notes this in the book, from the animals is our ability to cooperate on a much larger scale. And uh, also they said- What do you mean? Ants, ants rock that shit, don't they? They do, yeah. But also too, that's, I mean, okay, fair enough. Fucked me up there. But-, but, but uh, um, Wham! But, but 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 larger scale. But 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 actually, maybe you're right because ants just have one ant hill like on an acre, and then they got to fight the other ants on the other acre. And whereas we, on we got the whole planet. Yeah, and then Sean also said here, have you guys been in a cave the last two years? And again, if you look at it, and there's a a book I think it's called Factfulness. It'll actually take you through history and how, as a total, we've become so much more peaceful than we were last year. So even though, oh, yes. uh, Sean, the news, the corporate media, as our um, guest that we frequently have on, Jorge Ventura calls it, says that you know the corporate media makes it look like everything's all bad. But if you really look at the facts, right, then you'll realize that we live in the most peaceful time ever. Okay. And, um, and it is a lot better now than it ever has been. And in fact, even our poorest people when the United States, especially still have access than the richest person did just the more access to things than the richest person did just about 50 to 70 years, ago. 50 or 70 years ago, 20 years ago, yeah, exactly. ladies and, ladies an and gentlemen iPhone and everything else. That's that, right. Yeah. That's a huge mistake, by the way, the left um, does. And, and this is coming from a former hardcore liberal. They just look at discrepancy of wealth. That That's right. a horrible fucking metric to isolate. There's people now, the poorest people on planet Earth have what the richest people did not have 20 years ago. Wackadoodles. So, so Anyways, I'll like use this. your I'll use your neighbor as an example. Please. You have to think about what allows you to be a jerk to your neighbor. And the reason I can be a jerk to my neighbor is I don't need them for anything. They don't do anything for me. So if I don't need them for anything, I can treat them however I want. They're in a, they're a different tribe from me. What allows me to be a jerk to them is that someone else built this house that I'm living in. But if I needed my neighbor for us to build shelter together, I wouldn't be a jerk to them. I'd suck it up and I'd get along with them and I'd help him out so I can be helped. Someone else farmed your food. Some someone drove it, harvested it, drove it to the supermarket. Someone's working the supermarket for you to come in and grab all that. I don't need my neighbor for food. If we had to farm together or we had to hunt together, our differences 
would be not zero, but they'd be minimal. They'd be small enough. I wouldn't care. I need this guy to survive. I need this guy's help for the, for the survival of my family. And that's why I can be a jerk to this guy. I don't need him for anything because I have all these other people that is, that is doing something for me to survive. But if I didn't have a house, I didn't have food, I didn't have all these things, I'd get along real well. So my wife is Portuguese. Her parents come from the Azores. They grew up without electricity. So one of their traditions every year is they do a matanza, where they, they slaughter the pigs and they, they prepare the meat in a way that's going to last. Now, mm-hmm. does everyone, uh, you know, does everyone love each other 100%? There's no disagreement? Of course not. But all throughout generations before then, they needed each other in that village to live. So it doesn't even matter if you don't like them. You're going to suck it up and be nice to them because everybody needs each other. But now here in America, I don't need this guy. What do I care if he doesn't like me? What do I care if he doesn't want to cooperate with me? I got all these other people working for my survival. And so I can treat this guy like he's a, he's a separate tribe. You know, I can, I can say I hate this guy and I don't like his beliefs and I don't like this and that. But if I needed him, like we, like we used to have to need people, all that stuff would go away. Mm. I'm like, yeah, you know, we kind of disagree on this, but, you know, it's not a big deal. So that is, you know, we're only looking at it from the perspective now where we've been completely segregated from nature. Mm-hmm. But if you, if, if you go back, and we're talking 50 years ago, we're not even talking like hundreds or thousands of years ago. We're talking 50 years ago where lots of places throughout the world didn't have electricity, didn't have the amenities that we have today. And people within that village, they got along a little better. You have, you need those people for you to live. These people didn't wake up and spend five hours on Twitter, arguing with people and fighting, (laughs) carrying all that hate inside of like, of, of nonsensical stuff. Because hey, I, I'm worried about making it making it to next year. We got a drought mm-hmm. going on. Mm-hmm. I, now I really need this guy. So all of those all of those things about how you hate your neighbor, a lot of that is possible because the infrastructure we have in the U.S. allows us to not need anyone else. Hey, my neighbor when uh, when I first moved into the house I'm in, um, it, there was a big rain and my roof started leaking. And I told my neighbor next door who's a contractor, and he came over in the rain, put a ladder up, and fixed the leak in my roof in real time. Another time, many many times, he's come over to my to my house with a dozen eggs from his chickens, and and we are so far politically not aligned. And I fucking love the guy, and you nailed it on both. The reason why I love him is for two reasons. He helped fix my shelter and he brought my family food. And it's like, yeah, everything else is kind of out the door. Yep. Like at that point, like, like all my other shit's out the door. He's got, you know, he's got five kids. I've got three kids. Like, I mean, that's some really cool shit. And he left his ladder over here and said I could keep it. Cause he's got like 20 ladders. That was really cool. <laughs> what a good um, dude. Do you, do you have siblings? Graciano? Yeah, I have an older brother, and then I have a sister who passed away. And your brother's 11 years older? Correct. And uh, was your sister older or younger? She was older. She was 10 years older. 
Mm. And how old were you when she passed away? Uh, 16. Did you know her well? Yeah. So she was 26? Yeah, 26. Wow. And uh, is that a a huge impact on you? Is that like just a massive life-changing moment? Yeah, at the time. So that's a, that's a big driver of a lot of different stuff. That's certainly part of the reason why um, I coach CrossFit. So my sister passed away due to obesity. Hmm. And so a lot of, a lot of, of. Can you explain that better? She's 26 years old and she passed away for obesity, like ate herself to death. Yeah. Explain that to me. It uh, so, for instance, her death certificate reads "complications of morbid obesity." Wow! So that's what they should read. That's what many of them should have read for the last two years. A lot of them. Yeah. And so, it's hard to pinpoint something exactly to say like this is this is what happened. Um, it's also it's uh. It's hard to pinpoint an exact cause. There's multiple issues that that occur when you're at that weight. You also, and I think how heavy how heavy was she? uh, Got to be 300 pounds at five two. Okay. Mm -hmm. So not was she she mobile? Was she mobile? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, our family's really strong, so it's there's a difference between mobile for for an athletic person versus versus someone that doesn't have that, uh, you know, that level of, of, you know, I don't want to say physical fitness, but strength, you know? Right. right. So in that case, I go back to, what was it? Uh, I remember reading a lot of the old CrossFit journal and it's broken down. It's about health between lifestyle and luck. And so at 26, you're, you're likely to have some type of, you're likely to have some type of genetic issue that makes you more susceptible, but with a different lifestyle, that may not be an issue. That may not be the breaking point. So you can have some type of genetic condition where you live with it just fine until you're 70. That never hits like the, you know, the breaking point, but you add poor lifestyle factors on top of that. Mm -hmm. And these things pop up, you know, these things, these, you know, you add a, that's, that's, you know, your, your weakest link in the chain. So I go, I think it was what I think in Glassman's article, he puts it like 70% or 80% of your health is, is all lifestyle. And the other 20, 30% is luck. So there's a combination of lifestyle and unlucky to die of obesity at 26. But for a lot of people, they don't see, you know, they don't see, they don't see that same thing when people are 40 or 50 or 60, they're always looking at like, what is the, you know, kind of like, what is the acute cause or what is the most, what is the closest issue? Like what actually happened without looking at what led up to it. So for instance, if someone dies of lung cancer, we automatically assume it's smoking. Say, Oh, you died of lung cancer. You died of smoking. So, and I think it was, it was 20% of, of lung cancer, 20% of lung cancer deaths are unrelated to smoking. So it's not a hundred percent, but we all know that so much of those deaths are smoking that that's the assumption. 
especially if you smoke. If you smoke, you get lung cancer. We automatically say, hey, you didn't die of lung cancer. You died of smoking. And as a society, we all recognize that. But then when it comes to issues related to lifestyle, and in particular, obesity, we never go back and be like, you died because of these lifestyle choices or your nutrition. It's always this person died of a heart attack. This person died of this or they died. This of person COVID. died of COVID. <laughs> right. So someone, if, if you know someone's an alcoholic, they die, they die of liver cancer. You're like, well, I, you know, this is what caused it. But there's right. a whole host of issues. We never look back and say, hey, you know, they, they died because they have a poor diet. It's always something else that takes it off of what caused it. Even 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 something someone getting hit by a car. You're 150 pounds overweight and you get hit by a car and you die. If you wouldn't have been 150 pounds overweight, you may have had the awareness, the agility to 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 not get hit by the car. You would have maybe crossed the street faster, slower. You maybe you also would could have, have recovered faster. Yes. Taken yes. the impact. Yes. It's 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 fascinating the the massive handicap obesity um, gives a human being. It's, 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 it's like, it's like wearing the world's largest weight vest with you at all times. Yeah. For, for instance, my, when I was 20, my appendix ruptured. And so I went in, you know, did the surgery. Wow. That's scary. I had this, um, I had this giant tube in my stomach. It sucks out all the fluid. Uh huh. And I remember <clears throat> I was working at the post office at the time. And everyone there is over 50 years old. And so they found when, you know, I, I called and said, Hey, you know, this is what happened. Um, that can kill be, you, man. Yeah. It happened fast. Yeah. So they're all thinking of it like, Oh dude, we just lost this guy. Like he's the one taking all of our overtime and all this stuff and covering all this. Like I'm going to go back to working all these hours. So they had just written it off. Like, Oh dude, this guy's going to be out for like a month. Because they're all thinking back when <clears throat> when they were younger, you know, what appendix surgery meant. You right. Know, slice you open. And now the procedure is a lot less invasive. But also, if you're regularly working out, you recover so much faster. So my surgeon, once I once they've pulled that tube out, which is the absolute worst thing in the app in the world. It's the most it's not painful, but it's the most uncomfortable feeling that I've ever experienced. Why is the tube up through your penis? No, you know when you know when you fall in an elevator and it feels like your balls go through your head. When you fall in an elevator, right? You drop. Oh yes, 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 yes. It's like that by a hundred. Ah. So yeah. they pull this tube out, and you're like, it's not painful. It just feels like it feels like your balls just totally leave your body. It's like that elevator drop by a hundred. Wow. And I had, it was a female surgeon, so she doesn't explain it. She's like, ah, oh, you know, it might be a little, <laughs> might be a little discomfort, might be a little discomfort. I had to, I had to sit there for like a minute, thinking, man, what the hell just happened? I'm free falling. <laughs> Why are my balls in my throat? The drop zone. So she told me, she's like, look, you know, you know what you're doing. You, you don't have any movement restrictions. Just go off of how you feel. So it only took me a couple days. You know, got up, started walking. I was back to normal. Um, I wouldn't say normal, but I could do all daily activities as soon as they pulled that tube out. So I was like 10 days afterwards, you know, I'm good to go. And a lot of that is when you're training hard and your body's constantly repairing itself, it's not just limited to training. 
when you get hurt and do these things, uh, you recover better from these accidents as well. If you get hit by a car, something happens like your appendix rupture, you recover faster. You don't have complications. You don't have blood clots from sitting there for, for a week not doing anything. You don't have all these other issues that pop up. So it's really tough to separate those things out to say, oh, this is from the car accident or this is because you're unhealthy. Your body doesn't know how to repair itself. Why didn't why didn't anyone tell your sister? Why didn't your sister stop eating or change your diet? I think and this is this is from a from a societal perspective you know, at large. I think a lot of the conversation gets is too much based on you know, food environment and these other things. I think people, when they get to that point, more of it is about mental health than it is about the food. So I was 300 pounds because I love to eat. I still love to eat. I so thought it was because you very, wanted to be strong. I thought it was because you wanted to be strong. That, that's a justification. Oh, yeah, right, right, right. I yeah. like to eat. Yeah. You know, you're following the anabolic window, getting your, your protein in after the workout, all that other nonsense. Yeah. But someone like me that I'm not very, I don't, I don't do moderation well. It's like, well, shit, I'm, I'm going to really maximize this window right now. <laughs> so like three but, sandwiches with six pieces of bread in a row instead of just like, it just matter, yeah, it doesn't matter what it is. Right. Right. So for someone like me, I can easily make that switch and be like, all right, this isn't helping me anymore. Uh, I can make that switch. It's not a big deal. As soon as you, as soon as, you know, I believe, Hey, this is having a negative impact on the training. I can, I can easily switch and be like, all right, I'm just not going to eat that much. I'm not going to eat all that stuff. For a lot of people, they can't make that switch that easily. They, and it's because they're not eating to either support a certain lifestyle or to support doing these things. A lot of people that I have seen who are, who, you know, we're not talking 20 pounds overweight. We're talking 50 or a hundred plus food becomes a coping mechanism. So it becomes a way to deal with anxiety. It becomes a way to deal with depression. It, it's, it's beyond just the food itself. Mm. So you need to treat the underlying cause of that, not just look at it from, Hey, we need to sit, we need to sit them down with a nutritionist. Like that shit doesn't work. And that it has, the, the failure rate is so high that is just get rid of it. It's not, it's not a food issue. It's some other line issue. They know that what they're doing right now is not healthy. Mm-hmm. They know that this shit's no good for them. It's just that they don't have, you know, I don't like using the word motivation, but they're not able to do the actions that would make the difference in this. So you need to get to the underlying cause of that. Not just be like, oh, <clears throat> they don't have the knowledge. No, no, you know, you know that Big Macs are no good. That's not, they'll tell you that. Apply that to your sister. So what you're saying is, is that your sister was eating. It's more than just telling her to stop eating or just like, uh, you're saying that food was a coping mechanism, but doesn't, um, dying transcend all of that. So I'm like, I'm giving you like, you know, like I, 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 am I'm smoking cigarettes and I get a sore throat and I'm like, Oh shit, I have cancer. So I quit smoking. Like it's like there's there should be shit that scares the bejesus out of you and you do a course correction. Yeah, but and this is this is going to go back. We'll we'll tie this into COVID. Okay. Usually there's a progression of that. 
So people go through a progression of, I'm kind of sick. I go to the doctor. They're like, hey, man, you need to make some changes. Mm. You know, this is going to take 10 years off your life. But if you're 30 and they tell you that, and they're like, oh, you know, instead of living to 75, you're going to live to 70. It's not really, it's not an urgent thing. You got to change. Like I don't, on my day-to-day life, I'm, the, the impact isn't big enough. And I still got, you know, 20 years before I really got to do something about it. But then you get to 35, then you get to 40. As you get older, the ability, the ability to um, make those changes becomes less. The impact on your health becomes more. And now that, that time frame kind of shortens up. So then when you're 40, they're like, hey, man, you need to make a change now. Ah, yeah, okay, doc. Then it's, you know, 45, 50 before they're like, the doctor gets serious enough to say, hey, if you don't stop this right now, you're going to die in the next year. Mm-hmm. Like your blood pressure is here. You cannot maintain this anymore. You must stop right now. And so there's kind of, in terms of knowledge, it's not, you know, the food issue. We've now allowed the narrative to be a health at any size, which is just utter nonsense. That stuff is, is total nonsense. It's, it's abusive. It's abusive. It, it, it should be, per, it should, it, it, yeah, it's abusive. So we've allowed that. What do you think allowed, about, what do you think about parents who let their kids get obese? Sorry, finish that train of thought. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. We've allowed that. So we've allowed that to take root because we don't want to hurt anyone's feelings and we don't want to, we don't want people to feel bad. But lying to people is not is there's nothing nice or kind about lying. Right. And a lot of people know it's a lie. Doctors know it's a lie. Trainers know it's a lie. All these people know it's a lie. Like you think hey, doctor, you think doctors know it's a lie? Oh, it's a lie. Okay. Well, I I you have if more it's faith not a me. lie. I think I think fifty percent of doctors don't know that. But go ahead. If it's not a lie, they're being willfully ignorant. Okay. You, know, you can't yeah. you can't continue to see people come in that are that are obese that have these issues and continue to see people come in that aren't and don't have some of these issues and pretend like oh well you know your your weight doesn't have any impact on your health or your diet doesn't have any impact on your health um so they may genuinely not know but they're choosing not to know there there's, there becomes a point where the data becomes so overwhelming you're choosing not to look at this you're choosing like how about- to ignore it how about one of these leaders of one of these countries that just said, um, uh, it's too hard losing weight. Maybe it was even our leader. Maybe it was Biden. It's too hard losing weight. Just go ahead and uh, get the vaccine. I saw that. I saw, or maybe our CDC said that someone said that it's fucking nuts. <laughs> it's fucking nuts. It's too hard. Blah, blah, blah. Just go ahead and get the vaccine. Uh, I just built, I just built coffee on my keyboard. See, oh, that's what I, I think was, that was, that was That's New what York I was talking City. about. It was New York City? I think. Okay. I mean, that's crazy. That is – I believe in total freedom of speech, total freedom of speech. But maybe there should be a different standard for our leaders. I don't know. I don't know. But but that's crazy to say that. That's well, crazy. What? You should never – anytime anyone hears another human being arguing another human being's limitations, you should immediately start with the baseline that that's a vile human being. Those were vile statements that came out of that person's mouth. Oh, yes, thank you. That was the British PM, yes. You should never argue another person's limitations for them. Never, ever, ever. It makes you a pile of shit. 
<laughs> I can't stand it. Well, let's okay, go, go ahead. You know, in regards to that vaccine, Matt, do you remember swine flu? I do want to circle back to your sister, by the way. Yeah, we'll get to it. So with swine flu, you know, that was 2009. And swine flu was the pandemic prior to this one. So that's an 11 year gap. So at the very least, you know, what, regardless of what you think about, you know, pa- our pandemic response, your plan for not an if we're going to have another pandemic, but we're going to have another pandemic. Yeah. Right. And your plan should reasonably be, okay, we just saw two pandemics 11 years apart. You should at least have as a plan, we'll have a pandemic in 2031, maybe later, maybe sooner. We're already two years of COVID. So what are you going to do in nine years when the next one happens? Are you going to follow that same response? If you're 40 right now and you're not secure about your health, you're going to be worse off in nine years when you're almost 50. So what are you going to do when you're 50 and the next one happens? You're going to do all these things and more. The next one could be more dangerous. This was your wake up call. This one wasn't even dangerous at all. Imagine if there were people dead on the streets. I still don't know anyone who's died. Sorry, go on. So that should be, you know, that should have been as, as far as the weight loss goes. If they would change that message to, hey, what's going to get us out of this one is these things. But long term, you need to get healthy. Yep. You're not going to get healthy fast enough that this won't impact you. But another one's coming. Not not maybe another one is coming. You should plan for that one to come 11 years because we had swine flu this one at least have a plan in place for 2031 or around that range. What are you going to do then? Right now we're going to, right now we've allowed it to be like, Oh, your overall health status makes no difference. And so we're two years in by the time. And we're never going to admit it at this point. Hey, it's worse. It's worse than that. There's, there's, there's people in the mainstream media who make fun of people who say that fitness and diet are the answer. Like there's those of us who know that if you if you eat healthy and take care of yourself, there's no there's no there's no possible way this will kill you. And yet there's people in the media who make fun of us saying that that's fucking like a conspiracy theory or lunacy when it's 100 percent true. It's 100 percent true, but they take like the craziest people of a group to represent them. So they'll take some lunatic like Liver King and be like, oh, look at. Look at what this, you know, fitness, this is what fitness people are like. Look what they think. Well, it was Marjorie, it was, it was Marjorie Taylor Greene. It was the lady who got accused of saying that Jews are shooting lasers out of their eyes to start forest fires. She was the one, she owned a CrossFit gym, I think. I think she even maybe was partners with Travis Mayer. I apologize, Travis, if that's incorrect. I apologize if it is correct. Um, but but um, they, uh, they, they, she was basically, they were making fun of her for exercising on her, on her social media. It's like, are you fucking kidding me? That's exactly what we need from our leaders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that. They, they made fun of a lot of people for working out. I mean, how how sad was it that when Trump yeah. got COVID, he didn't say, hey, I'm a fat fucking pile of shit. I'm concerned. That would have been awesome. <laughs> I mean, Trump's son knows. Yep. Junior knows. He's smart as fuck. He gets it. But it, but yeah. it's, a, it's, 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 a, it's a way – it was a waste on Trump's part that he didn't fucking um, lose – 50 pounds in front of us all. Ever, that, I would have loved them. Watched, if done that. Uh, you watch any of Tyson Fury's press conferences? 
Yeah, yeah. I think the absolute best part is he gets up there and he's like, look how fat I am. <laughs> what a fat, disgusting slob. <laughs> I, I love got, how he always has his shirt off. He so he had one with he had one with Klitschko where he's like, "Look at what a fat bastard I am!" And you lost to this guy. <laughs> you lost to a fat slob that can barely move, grabs his love handles and shakes them. Yeah. So at the time, I was hoping that I was hoping that Trump would get on there and be like, "Look at I survived this thing." Look at, look at this. You know do that fucking dude wears a girdle. You know Trump wears a girdle. Oh, I bet sure. you he's I bet you he's even bigger. Like you just pull that string and that shit would just pop out. He'd be like a fucking humpty dumpty. So I was expecting that. I was expecting I was expecting more more antagonism of just like, oh, I told you guys. That's the one kind of part that was missing from Trump. Um, he needed to be a little more self. He doesn't have any self-deprecation in him, right? It's ego just all lie. bravado and ego. ego like you gotta lie. have a you gotta have a good balance. Yeah. It would. Um, it would. It would. Did you ever tell your sister? Does your sister know that she died? Like, I know this is. Does your sister know that she died of obesity? Like, did she know it was killing her? Uh, not really, because it happened pretty quick. It did. That's a, that's a, there's, like I said, a lot of people, I think. So she probably thought, Hey, I'll make it to 40, but she didn't. Right. So there's a lot of people have a runway. Yeah. Do we have, sorry, sorry. We had Jack, Jack, Jake Hagel on the other day and he was like, fuck, I'm just going to eat myself to die and die at 40. Like that's what he was thinking. And then something happened to him. He's like, fuck that. I'm losing weight. Well, like I said, I think with the health issue, a lot of people think there's going to be a runway. Yeah. So for instance, with COVID, that was your, that was your, you know, you're thinking like, oh, you're going to go to the doctor and you're going to have time to make these changes. But then COVID happened and everyone got caught. There's a, there's a saying that you don't know, you don't know who's swimming naked until the tide pulls back. Uh, And everybody got caught swimming naked. I'm like, oh, Mm. oh shit. Like I haven't been, I haven't been going to the gym. I haven't been eating well. I haven't been sleeping well. I haven't been doing all these things I know I should be doing. And you're, you're insecure about it. You're unsure. Uh, I felt healthy a month ago, but now that we're going to, now that we're going to have a test of health, now that we're going to figure out, you know, how that's going to play out, then it's like, Ooh, like I wasn't expecting this. I was expecting. I like that. A test of health. (laughs) We're going to do a test. We're going to spread a a minor virus around and see who survives. So a lot of that stuff was, Let's not call it a pandemic anymore. It's the great (laughs) health test of 2020. Dude, let's rebrand that shit. So in that case, if people who were confident in January, you know, April rolls around, they're not confident anymore because now it's real. Before it wasn't real. Before it was, hey, there's nothing in my daily life that I, you know, have to, I'm impacted in any way. But now... You know, you have this virus going around. Now it's real. Now, now it's, it's a little different. And I don't think, I think very, very few people were ready for that because we get people in that are, you know, they start at 40, but they've had health issues for 10 years. They're like, yeah, you know, I went to my doctor. He said my blood pressure is a little high, but it doesn't stop there. The blood pressure is a little high, but not, not high enough. You're really causing severe damage at the time. It's just going to slowly accumulate. 
Yeah, the doc said, you know, my, my A1C was a little too much. But, you know, he didn't tell me that I'm going to die. He just said, you know, I need to get this down. Until you're 40, and it's like, hey, these numbers are totally out of whack. You need to, you need to make a change. So people generally have some type of runway before the, the need to make big changes happen. And sometimes people don't. Sometimes it's quick. And you never, you never saw it coming. So that, that goes back to, you know, the same thing with, with um, the, the luck and the lifestyle aspect. A little extra luck, maybe she makes it to 30 and something happens that's, hey, I got I to gotta get my shit together right now and do these things. And some people make it there, some people don't. But I think, I think that's, um, I can't speak from experience because I haven't gone through a period of, of some type of mental health disorder. But I think it's more related to- Wait, the say that last sentence again. You ha- you've always had a mental health disorder? No, I haven't. Oh, you have not. I have not. So I can't tell you, I can't tell you the mental state you're in when you're 400 or 500 pounds. But it's easy to see like, hey, this isn't this isn't like a a lack of movement or a food problem. There's some other issue. Mm-hmm. And of the people who we've come in, we don't we don't deal with people that. Have what do you mean? What do you mean? Like you were you were raped at 10 years old or you saw your brother get killed or is that what you mean by some other issue? And then and then you you ate as a coping mechanism for that. There's Correct. some emotion. OK, OK, OK. Some some type of other issue because. OK. Does it have to be that severe? Do you think? No, do you know I don't think so at all. It doesn't have to be okay. I think. I think. It could be just your dad yelled at you. It could be just your dad got drunk and passed out. He never even yelled at you. You were never molested, but your dad came home every night, got drunk and passed out, and then you would go to the fridge and eat a little bit. Right. Next thing you know, you're fucking thirty years old. You've been raising yourself since you've been four because you're single. That you you live with your dad and you're drunk all the time, and so you ate yourself into. Okay. It could, okay. you know, in a case like that, it could be as simple as you never received that love as a child and right. you don't love yourself. You don't have your own self-respect and right. see yourself as, as valuable of these things. Right. So it doesn't need to be anything severe, but we don't have, I mean, we don't have people, not that we don't, we wouldn't people that have 200 pounds to lose. They don't make it into the gym. Like they never actually get their foot in the door for us to help them. But we have people that are at lesser extremes and a lot of times the issue is not the food. A lot of times the issue is, is I eat when I'm anxious. I eat yeah. when, when this happens. Um, for me, I it's, get, if I, for me, it's, I stay up too late for me. If I just went to bed on fucking on time, I'd probably would eat 500 less calories a day. Like I start to get tired. It's nine o'clock at night. I haven't done my re- enough research on Graciano Rubio coming out. I, I stay up from nine to 11 and I eat a fucking pound of cashews. Oops. Yeah, but you don't have a weight problem. Uh, but, but you know what I mean. I'm no, I'm yeah. no fucking Matt Souza. You know what I mean? <laughs> See, bored. If you're eating because you're bored, that's not that hard to solve. It's not even bored. It's a I'm looking for like some sort of. Well, I don't know what the re- but some sort of spike, right? Some sort of like, some sort of. It's like it's like you know. Um, we have this we have this gum that sits in our center console when we're dry for in our car, and like I don't chew gum. But like, if I'm starting to nod off, I'll throw a piece in and it gets me through like the five minutes. Right. Just, just that, that stimulus. Um, did your sister's death rock anyone to the, did it rock anyone in your family to the point where they made a massive lifestyle change? 
I can't imagine your parents, man. Are both your parents still alive? Your mom and your dad? Yeah. Yeah, man, that's got to fuck with you. My. Do they ever recover from that? Do your parents ever recover from that? How long ago was that? That was 14 years ago. Yeah. Do your parents ever recover or no? They're fine. They are. I mean, there's, there's a certain aspect of. You have to, you kind of have to define recover. You know what I mean? I don't think like they was... can have fun with their life. Like, do you see your parents yeah. laugh? Like, yeah. yeah, okay. It's not just fucking a, a black cloud and it's heavy at all times. No, no, that's not like that at all. Okay. Um, my mom, my mom has always been extremely positive. So it's very, I mean, it was hard at first, but she, she's doing quite well later on. Um, my dad, it's hard. It's hard to describe my dad because he grew up, he grew up poor. So his dad was murdered when he was a kid. Hmm. That's part of why he came to the United States. Well, he was murdered in Mexico. Yeah. So to him, his life was a little harder and rougher. A little. So it's not, (laughs) uh, it's not that. He's a little more callous to some, to certain things, so it's not something that it's not something that um, you know you don't you don't really get over it, but it's something that you can deal with. So for him, for him, it's kind of uh, you grow you grow up in that environment. You're you're more used to people dying. You're more used to hardship. So I would say he. I mean, he he moved on a little. I don't say move on, but he recovered a little quicker. My mom did well. And I think this is, this is an important point. Like when people deal with death, people always bring up this idea of writing your own story. And so when you look at someone's death and how they live their life, you have, you have the ability to shape what that death meant. So I actually have a, I have a friend of mine, I have a friend of mine. We went to middle school together. She just she just died of a brain injury. Wow! Uh, a week ago. Vaccine, vaccine. Oh shit! <laughs> and when 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 things like that happen, your actions afterwards can determine you know what that death meant. Mm-hmm. So when you look at when you look at someone dying, that's a huge reason why I'm here in the gym helping other people with their fitness. Because I know that the value that it brings, I know that this person losing weight, getting fitter, changes their life so dramatically. And it's not something that's usually quantified. You can't say like, oh, this is how much this is worth. Because I put health at number one. If you don't have health, you don't have anything. So giving, helping, being open here and helping people with that, that is how, you know, that is, that's one of the reasons of why I do it. So same thing with my other friend. She was, she was the absolute kindest person I've ever met in my life. But by far, there's not, there's not a single person that I, that I could say has, has that kind of energy. So to me, like when these, when, when these things happen, you need to take that and then use your actions afterwards for that death to have caused good. And it's very difficult for people to say that someone dying is good, but we're all going mm-hmm. to die. Mm-hmm. A lot of us are going to die. And we hope that how we lived our lives makes a difference on the next generation. 
You know, we hope that our kids have it easier. We hope that our kids strive for more. And so I take that belief of, of people living their life to 80, hoping that they get a full all the years that they're that they can get out of it and all the difference they make and use how that person lived to make a difference in yourself. How would they want you to live? How would they want you to act? Um, how are you different now because of what they did? So part of, you know, part of the recovery process is those actions you take afterwards. You know, you can sit around and drink and, and be miserable or you can learn from it. You know, there's not there. It, it's hard to it's hard to only it's hard to look at any positive or good aspect of it. But there are there's a good aspect to everything. Yeah. You know, and you almost make good- everything has good and almost everything has bad. So to reduce that bad, you need to find the good. You need to find how do I take this and do something about it? Yeah. And a lot of that's out of your control, but what is in your control to, you know, further um, talk about your point there is the way you respond to what happened, right? Like you still have a choice on how you want to respond to these external events that are far without your control. Um, uh, Will, uh, if you're, if you're watching at one fifty-seven thirty-four, Graciano says, if you don't have health, you don't have anything. That's something my mom, <clears throat> you know, that's another thing, the golden rule. And your parents tell you when you're a kid, your health's the more, most important thing. And it's funny cause I just ignored my mom and the three <laughs> things I just ignored my mom on all that shit. It's funny how she's right. You know? It's weird. I got to think of a different way to say it to my friends. Graciano also said something very fascinating to me about how you can take someone's death and, and use that story to make change. Like, um, look at this guy. Um, he was a um, he 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 was a porn star. He was a drug addict. He was a he put a gun to a pregnant woman's uh, stomach in a home invasion robbery. He drove around neighborhoods selling fentanyl. He drove around neighborhoods high on fentanyl, high on meth, high on alcohol, and um and and and, and he was uh, and he died. Um and he's turned into a civil rights leader. It's amazing what you could do with someone's life. George Floyd. I mean, complete fucking added zero contribution to society and society's taken this guy afterwards and turned him into a civil rights leader. Anything is possible. <laughs> fucking A. <laughs> fucking A. It's the worst advice you've given in the show, Graciano. Do not listen to Graciano about that part about taking <laughs> someone's, using someone's, because some fucking idiot's going to use it wrong. Graciano is using his sister's death to help people, and they're using George Floyd's death to fucking make this country a worse place. To pit black, make it a black and white thing. That there's nothing that. Don't ever look at George Floyd's skin. I wish he would. I wish he'd have been white. Fucking zero contributor to society. You, if you put a gun to a woman's stomach in her house that you in in an armed robbery, you have for you are you are at the bottom of the fucking food chain. That's what that's what I think. I think I, I unless I mean your redemption has to be massive. This guy, this is no Malcolm X. Malcolm X went to jail, and then fucking copied the dictionary word for word in his spare time. Turned into a sorcerer and a magician with the English language. That's a story of redemption. If you want a fucking uh, a hero, sorry George, you didn't have enough time to fucking redemption. Not my problem. You, how would uh, you feel? How do you feel about people driving around your neighborhood, Graciano, high on meth, high on fentanyl, um, uh, w- with your your son um, in the street on his tricycle? Do you have what's your tolerance level for that? 
My tolerance level is zero, but this is California. So <laughs> <laughs> my tolerance level is zero too. And did you hear that, people? There's a big, 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 big difference. There's if you you do not get what's going on now, if you don't if you have any tolerance for someone driving around your neighborhood high on on, on alcohol or fentanyl, you, you're you're not even into I get it. You're 19 years old. You're smoking weed and you're peace and love. But but you're completely out of touch. I was there, too. You'll snap out of it when you have a kid. You'll well, fucking, we have you have a lot of work to do. This is we'll go. I'll, I'll bring up a covid death for you. Okay, please. And I'm very sorry about your sister, and I appreciate you sharing it here. Um, obesity is no fucking joke. There is one thing guaranteed if you are obese. I will tell you this. You will die prematurely. Go ahead. Sorry, COVID death. So this was April of 2020. And California had the bright idea that they were going to release. Uh, sorry, people. sorry, 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 sorry. Um, Sevon, how hilarious would it be if you were next after Joe? By next, you mean being the greatest podcaster you'll ever live? That would be awesome. I would love to have Joe's problems right now. I would love to have Joe's problems right now. Please, please, Lord Jesus. Muhammad. $100 million deals. $100 million deals. Uh, P- Peter Pan. Yes, yes. Me, give me, give me. Cancel me away again. Every time you cancel me, I'll come back stronger. I'm like fucking Highlander. Okay, sorry, sorry. I, I'm, I interrupt a lot. That's part of the show. <laughs> So this was California had the bright idea that they were Mm going to let people out of jail because of coronavirus. So they said, hey, these guys, we can't have too many people in jail, so we need to get rid of some of these people. And no one ever thought more than one step ahead. So they said, wait a second. This guy was a criminal in good times. Now we're going to release him out into the public with – the whole, everything is shut down. How are they going to provide for themselves? They can't get a job. There's there's nothing for them to do. Everything is shut down. So they're not going to be able to get a house. They're not going to be able to do anything. But we get to pretend that we care so much and all these things. So we're going to ignore you know the fact that why we put them in prison in the first place or any of those other issues. We're just going to release people. So they release the guy. Two days later, this guy shows up at my in-laws dairy. Oh, wow. Wow. Hold on, it gets better. Wait, tell me what's a dairy? What's a dairy? Cow. Like a farm where, cow, like where you milk? cow farm. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Well, he tries to rob somebody, one of the employees. Cuts his throat. Guy runs off with the wallet. Oh, he cut one of your in-laws employees' throats? Yeah. Oh. How's he going to get money to provide for himself? Right. A job? (laughs) Leaves. That is his job. Two days later. Two days later. And he learned this. This This guy was a career criminal. Started off as a normal guy. You look at his rap sheet. It starts off real small at like 18, slowly creeps up, slowly gets worse, slowly gets worse. He was in jail for setting a cop car on fire. Well, two days after, you know, this attempted murder, he's at another dairy, tries to rob someone. He murders this guy. Same same thing. Ask him for his wallet, tells him to take his jacket off. As he's taking his jacket off and can't get it off, he cuts his throat. Defenseless guy. 
This one's even worse. This one's like directly on camera. Steals the wallet. The local PD kind of have an idea of, of what may have happened because they know this guy. They've dealt with him a bunch of times. Get a warrant. Go to his apartment. Recover everything. You know, they recover the wallets. They recover. I think they end up recovering the weapon. So he's now out for, he's now gone for life. And this is a direct result of those policies. We shouldn't, you know, hey, we got to reduce the population in the jail. Here you go. What are they supposed to do? I don't know, but we get, we get kudos for being so, being so whatever. Well, he ends up trying to kill someone and then kill someone. There's dozens of these stories. The rape ones are the most painful. So how close to home is that for you? Crazy. And you know, the other crazy part, no one cared. No, of course not. If it's not your brother that got killed, your sister that got raped, why would you care? So all these people that go on and on and on about these issues. When this one popped up. Zero. There's total crickets. Mm hmm. Nothing whatsoever. Nothing of like, hey, you know, it's just uh, not my problem. As well, it is your fault, though. It is the fault of these people that that let this guy out of jail when he should have been in there. You said if you set a cop car on fire. What do you think? How do you think this guy's going to behave? You know, letting him loose in the middle of a pandemic. And in California, where you can't do anything. I. I want to, I want to throw, go ahead, Graciano. I want to to explain something. Well, no, that's so when it comes to all these, these drug issues and these other things that we're, that all three of us are dealing with in California. Yeah. There's this idea of, of compassion is just totally misguided. Like it's really a lot of this compassion comes into allowing people, not, not compassion in terms of helping people, but we're going to allow these people to suffer. And you're supposed to just, you know, keep paying your taxes and watch these people suffer. And the money just goes to some whoever's running whatever outreach program, but they don't do anything. Mm-hmm. I, I, I want to explain something, um, that, and this is going to upset my wife. She really hates it when I say this, even though she doesn't agree with me. So I'm going to try to say it in the kindest way possible. First of all, I want to say this thing. I, I believe, and, and I, don't, I don't hate any of you guys for it, but I believe that if you are um, – Pro-injection. The opposite of pro-injection is not anti-vax. I want to be very clear. There's no such thing as anti-vax. That's word fuckery. If you're pro-injection, if you're pro-mask, if you participate in quarantine, if you participate in any of that, I do believe that you are part of the narrative that got this guy fucking killed. That's where we're at. The whole narrative. Well, Sevan, I didn't get the vaccine. I just got the. I just wore the mask because it says so on the door. I believe you are participating. I believe you are complicit. Have I ever worn a mask? Yes, yes. I've, I've been. I've worn a mask into a, a grocery store now and again. I, I, I feel. I have also been complicit. There's no reason to push back and deny. Same thing I've told you a million times. I know this. I suspect this iPhone's made with child labor. I'm complicit. Don't lie to yourself. Just stop being complicit. Stop participating in the fucking lying narrative. Now, I wanted the, the other thing. There's a scale here, right? It's a scale like this, and there's it's, it's teeter-tottering like this. And here you have the virus and its danger. And over here you have the cure. So you want to load up the cure. 
Like what, 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 what is going to be the cost of stopping this virus? Well, first of all, let's describe what the virus is. The virus is something that kills people in the United States who the vast majority of them, over 99%, are complicit in their demise. What do I mean by that? They live a lifestyle that is what made them susceptible to the virus. So they're responsible for that. On top of that, the average age is somewhere within a year of the average age of death already in this country. So what are you do what what are you willing to do to save people who are 80 years old who are now dying at 79 by this virus? 40% of them are in care facilities and they have a 13 month life expectancy regardless of the virus. What are you willing to do to save them? You're willing to mask children to save these people who are going to die on average within the next year anyways who are 30 years complicit in their demise? Are you out of control? But why did this guy have to die at the fucking dairy farm? Why did one man have to die to even save 800,000, 2 million, 3 million people who are 30 years complicit in their demise who didn't take precautions? It's fucking insane. Your cure to help people who are 30 years complicit in their demise. So some fucking poor guy who's fucking working his ass off in a fucking dairy farm or some woman who was raped because you let some guy out of fucking jail. Not, I, I, I wouldn't I, – I let all – and this is the part my wife doesn't like. I let all those people die. You're, you, all, you all die to save – so that the kids don't have to wear masks. So one kid that's – there's kids who've worn masks three years in a row at school. If 10 of those commit suicide over the next 10 years, the whole fucking pandemic was a joke and fucking all the masks and quarantines and shots and everything, you were complicit if you partook. In my opinion – I, 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 I'm not into, I'm not into saving 80 year old people at the cost of kids. I am not, I have no tolerance for it. I think you're equivalent to pedophiles. Now you're, you're like, you like, you're like the Chinese, um, you know, horror stories of, of harvesting organs from young people. That's what you're doing. You're fucking gross. Sorry, go ahead, Graciano. And I'm not saying Graciano or Matt agrees with me, by the way, don't drag them into this. I apologize <laughs> for having such a fucking wacky fucking idea with you guys on but it's nuts it is nuts that kids have to suffer for this bullshit well in the u.s most people they don't even comprehend the they don't comprehend that resources are finite they think that just everything is in abundance like there's no limit to stuff you can have anything you want there's no there's no cap to it because we've never we've never had to deal with that and so right when covid happened and we're very clear about we have this this amount of resources to deal with. And people are so we knew who was at risk. We knew right. before we right. shut down. We absolutely right. knew that this who's at risk and what we need to do to protect them. There's absolutely clear on that. Before California had that very first shutdown order. That our, that our governor jumped on and, and bragged about it. Ah, we're the most progressive state and we're so wonderful because we're going to we're going to crush people's businesses before anyone else does. <laughs> but the resources are finite and people are so attached to this idea of equity and that everyone has to be treated the same. Yeah, someone should have told your dad that, right? Yeah. <laughs> Like, by the way, his dad, Graciano, would never be with his where he is right now if his dad fucking relied on equity. Not so, not a, f- a fucking chance. With with finite resources, every little bit that you put into protecting kids or young, healthy adults or anyone else who's not at risk, 
means that there's less resources to protect the people who are at risk. So my argument the entire time hasn't been, oh, we should do nothing. We need to allocate those resources to their best use. We don't have abundance. We don't have an excess of masks. So if you want a mask, be clear about who should get them. If you want these restrictions, be clear about who we're trying to protect and what we need to do to protect them. So, for instance, I was at Costco like three weeks ago. They, they, they added back senior hours. So I got there in the morning thinking I could come to Costco and shop. They made me and my three-year-old daughter wait out in the parking lot for an hour. We didn't get to go in at nine. We had to go in at 10. They're like, oh, well, this is senior hour. And so let me get this straight. The people who are most at risk, who are most likely to transmit it to each other if they get sick, you're going to pack all those people in here at one time? That makes sense to you guys? Like The people most likely to transmit it, all of you guys, come at one time so that we can increase the transmission. Wait, wait. And- explain that to me because that does sound like a good idea to me. Explain to me why that's a bad <laughs> idea. Because if they were in there with you, wouldn't that also be a bad idea? When should they go? Like they should go what? whenever their normal time is. But but you shouldn't you shouldn't have whenever. a priority. Oh, I see what you're saying. It doesn't matter whether you put all the old people in at once or you mix them. Either so you're saying the solution is either um, right. Okay, I see what you're saying. It's a it's it's a it's smoke and mirrors. If you got 500 people in the store, regardless want, of whether they're susceptible or not, you'd rather have 250 healthy people. And 250 old people mixed in than 500 old people because they're more likely to transmit it. So um, just on a side note, what percentage of people do you think who shop at Costco are healthy? I haven't been in there in five years, and I'm assuming it's worse than it is now. But when I went to shop there last, I would say 5% were healthy. 95% were um, headed towards premature death fast. You uh, you have to well, – first, you're going to have to define healthy. Uh, um, being able to uh, run a uh, jog a 400 meter track I would say and, and, and then have a conversation Just I'll, be gener- I'll be generous and say 10% okay. <laughs> right. so people are getting healthier right. since the last time I was in there that's nice okay so we, we you know we, for instance Costco like you're used to this like jumbo pack of everything and all and that's just how our society is but If you put yourself in, in what are we trying to do? We're trying to protect these old people. You need to see that the restrictions on young people are reducing your ability to help them. You can't make these people healthy by making these people unhealthy. Yeah. And every little bit. Yeah. The mask that I, the mask that I wear means that old person doesn't get a mask. The vaccine that I get means that someone in some poor country with, with terrible healthcare system, isn't going to get a vaccine. There's only so many doses. But once you say, hey, you're going to have to not get it so that someone who's more susceptible can have that dose, then it's like, well, hold on. Now you're talking crazy. You mean I'm going to actually have to sacrifice? No, no, that's not that's not how it goes. So that comp- that idea of things being limited just doesn't even comp- doesn't even comprehend for most people. Like, what are you talking about? I turn the I turn the water on and it flows endlessly. There's no limit to this stuff. And that was a huge argument at the beginning of it. That all this stuff we've done for young people, all this time, all this hand sanitizer, all of that stuff. 
all that money, all that stuff could have been going to helping the people actually at risk. But instead, we said, hey, whether you're whether you're 18 and you're in great health or whether you're 75 and you got a month to live, we have to treat these people the same. All my, best friend, all my best friends call me when I'm on the podcast. Isn't that weird? And that means they're not listening to my podcast. They're <laughs> my best friends. It really, it really fucking pisses me off. Hey, well, um, how do you, I, I sort of see what you're saying, but like, I'm so, um, I, well, I, re, I see what you're saying, but I'm so like, don't believe that any, I, I like the first thing you said when you started that, that basically um, young people should not have to pay the price, should be injured to, to help society. I, 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 I agree with that. But what do you think? Let, let me ask you this. Let me jump to this. Um, what, how, how, how do you, how, what's the justification? There's this argument. So they'll, people will say, so in California, they're lifting the mask mandate, right? With the caveat that if you can now, I think that you can now go indoors or in a couple of days, you can go indoors without a mask, but you have to be vaccinated. Well, I don't understand what's the logic there. Wouldn't you, wouldn't it just be that obese people have to be mad? My logic is this, the obese and the elderly but probably just the obese should have to wear masks because if they get COVID, their symptoms are, they have uh, symptoms for longer and they have more exacerbated symptoms, meaning coughing, sneezing and spreading the disease and the mutations because it lives in them longer. How does being vaccinated or unvaccinated relate to if you should wear a mask or not? That, I, what's their justification? Do you have any insight into that? Well, if you're more likely to get sick, you're also more likely to transmit it. Right. So then it would be obese people, not vaccinated or unvaccinated. Right. That would that would at least be part of the question. So if you're going to say, hey, this person's unvaccinated, so they have to wear a mask. Well, that same just and the justification is, well, they're unvaccinated. So we need to protect them. And you say, I want to take the risk. Oh, it's to protect them. Well, hold on. Okay. You say (laughs) I'll I'll take the risk. I don't care. In fact, not only will I take the risk, but if I get sick, I'll deny treatment. I won't even take the hospital bed. Okay. 100%. If I get it, I'm going to go home and this is a death sentence. So I'm just going to go home, eliminate myself from society and, and die in my bed. Then the argument becomes, well, yeah, but you might transmit it to someone. So if we're going to get into an argument about you need to wear a mask based on how much you would transmit it. Yeah. Then yes, any, anything that you apply to unvaccinated people needs to apply to people that are more likely to transmit it, period, which is old and obese. And so the bigger they, the nose you have. So like I would be like a <laughs> massive transmitter. So be like three factors, nose size, obesity, and, and, and super spreader. If you get to the, if you get to the door and they say, Hey, where's your vaccine card? That's no different than them walking to the door and say, Hey, we need you to step on this scale. We're going to take your height. This is your BMI. Hey, you got to wear a mask. Sorry. That's the science. Or I just show my CrossFit gym membership and I just get a pass. I go wherever the fuck I want. <laughs> Fucking so, nuts. Because we've gone, we've gone other places in the U.S. and it's way more tame. People don't comprehend. Like California is where a lot of states were like three months into this thing. Like we're, we're still at that level. Yeah. So what's, for instance, what's like, Los we, Banos like? Are they, are they, are, do you guys have the mask holes there? All the mask Nazis? The mask holes. It's worse. It is. Oh yeah. So, so you live in scared country. It's a, like, it's a very odd 
We actually had a mask mandate before the state did, our city. <laughs> like CrossFit One Nation. Like CrossFit One Nation. Come on now. <laughs> so this the city put in a the city put in a mask mandate like two weeks into it. And now we have people. Once there was no mandate, I remember going to the store, 95% of people still wore it. Like they've now conditioned to where yeah. like the government's supposed to step in and help everybody. Right. But where we are is different. So when we were, we were fighting with the city council and we know the city council can't do anything to help out our gym. And I said, you guys don't comprehend it. Right. The governor blames the county and the county blames the state. So we get into this giant loop where the city council is like, oh, we don't have any power to make decisions. It's all at the county. The county says, oh, well, we don't have any power to make decisions. It's it's the state. And then the state says, well, we don't want to make decisions. We want local leaders to step up and take care of their communities. So we just go in this loop where the buck never stops. When you say they don't comprehend it, they don't comprehend the power of CrossFit. Is that what you mean? Uh, comprehend what? You said something about they don't comprehend it, and I kind of got stuck on that for a second. You said they don't comprehend it, the people. Anyway, okay, never mind. Scratch that thought. So we got we got into a battle with the city council. I, the whole point was to demonstrate to everybody that you guys aren't doing anything at the county level to sway their decision. Yeah. When you guys right. we were we were one of only like three people that wrote in against this stuff because most people just totally ignored the rules and kept operating. I said, Hey, we'll go, we'll we'll play the game. We'll do it the right way. We're going to follow the restrictions. We're going to do all these things, but you need to be open and transparent about why we have to do them, what the rules are. So the city council just tried to duck us and be like, and ignore it. So just kept writing in. Mm -hmm. Then we got to the point that I said, Hey, if you don't give your consent for us to operate in the city, this city will officially be shut down longer than Wuhan, China. Tomorrow, our lockdown will be longer than China. The CrossFit gyms in China are open where this originated. <laughs> and we are shut down. Now, How you long can was argue, your gym shut for? How long was your gym shut for? 84 days. That was the first one. Yeah. Then a whole bunch of parking lot workouts in 100 degree weather. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Los Banos so is hot. It's the hot. first one was 84 days. And I said, Hey, we are now beyond Wuhan, China. Now you guys can argue and say it's the county's fault or whoever's fault it is, but that is happening in your city. And the reality is you guys won't say one way or the other because you want to reserve the right to send code enforcement out and bust our balls and, and give us a hard time, which they eventually did. Even though they're like, well, you know, we're not going to find anybody. We're not going to do any of that. So you're not going to find people, but you are going to send code enforcement out. You are going to write up a report. So if anything happens, you got this paper trail and say, hey, we were at their business. We were doing this and that. You know, these guys are just, they're just troublemakers. Ah, right there. CrossFit Livermore. But then we go to the county. You know, we write into the county. And the county's like, uh, well, you know, we don't make the rules. And I said, well, if you guys have no power, then why are you collecting a state salary? You're not doing anything. You're just a, you're just a PR person. Yes. Why yes. don't you just, why don't yes. you just post 
why don't we just eliminate the city council? Because you guys can't make decisions. Why don't we just completely eliminate the county public health department? Because supposedly you guys can't do anything. And the state just sends out the notice and tells people what to do. Because you guys can't do anything. Save us our tax money. Right. Then we go to the state and the argument for the state is like, hey, the local people won't step up and do anything. (laughs) So we're in this giant loop nonstop of no one takes accountability. No one explains why this is that. No one explains why we're doing this. And it's all this just, oh, well, we're we're following the data, but you can't see the data. Right. We're following the science, but we won't show it to you. Right. And when we've been to other, when we've been to other states, um, it's just way more laid back. It's just way more calm. But here in particular, it's just like everywhere you go, that level of anxiety is so high. Mm-hmm. You feel it in the room of like people wearing their masks, but still being uncomfortable. This hey. fucking place. Did you, I, can you believe that he didn't get recalled? You mean the Republican recall, the white supremacist recall? Uh, yeah, and how about the fact that how, how I mean I just can't imagine. Like, I'm so confused. So, so you know, he was saying here's, Gavin Newsom was the, the weirder part. Mm-hmm. The weirder part is when you look at 2020 and you look at mm-hmm. the ballot measures that we passed. Yeah. If you asked Trump to vote in California, he would have voted exactly the way that we passed every single ballot measure. You look at those ballot measures. Every every progressive. Give me an example. Like, what do you mean? I don't remember them. Affirmative at all. action. Oh. We shut down affirmative action because we talk. You know, we talk about how we want all of these minorities to do well, but when it comes to your kids' college application being denied because they're white and you need to open up a spot for minority. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Hold on. That's crazy talk. That's another great example. Like affirmative action is such a lie. Just say what it is and let's just be honest about it. Just say what it is. Do you want to allocate 5% of all the fucking college admissions to black people because of their skin color? Let's just be honest. Okay, I do, but that's racist. Yeah, I'm okay with that bit of racism. I want to do that for, I think that's okay. Don't stop fucking calling it fucking affirmative action. Stop fucking lying and trickery. Stop calling things, things that they're fucking not. It's okay. It's it's okay just to tell the truth, but it's 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 this, and that's the problem. That's why no one's no one should be liberal anymore. It's all feigning kindness. It's all feigning compassion. It's all about tricking you. Same thing with homelessness. We don't have a homeless homeless uh, uh, problem in in California. We have a drug addict pop problem. Why is it important to draw the distinction? Because you deal with drug addicts differently than you deal with homeless people. We have a massive drug addict problem. Giving them housing isn't going to fix the problem. They're still going to steal all the bikes. They're still going to live under the bridges. Like, they're, like, yeah, I just hate that shit. Yeah, you're in. I know that's a little bit of a tangent, but yeah, it's it's fascinating. It's how you couch things with words. It's the exact same thing with the COVID response. It's all just word fuckery. Mm-hmm. I cannot believe how many people fall for this shit. Ask so we, what is something. Even when I heard Sam Harris's response to Joe Rogan, it's like even that guy, that guy's supposed to be a neuro fucking science PhD and he falls for the shit. He starts off with the premise that, well, Joe isn't a scientist or a doctor. Dude, you have no fucking moral authority or any proven um, 
elevation in your ability to make risk assessment or risk management or to distinguish what's better or worse for society based on you being a scientist or a doctor. None. It's an enormous leap when you think that way, to, 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 to think that way. You could argue quite the opposite, quite eloquently, very convincing that actually doctors and scientists, when they're put in the decision-making place, that their, 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 their decisions are so fucking biased that it only makes everything worse. Just give us the information and let like someone who's an economist make the decision, someone who can think logically. It's the same thing if you ask a police officer, hey, should I move to this neighborhood? Well, he's not the person necessarily to ask because all he sees is all the worst shit. Mm-hmm. Someone was raped at that house. A car was broken in there. Someone was stabbed over there. Well, see, part of, your, part of that whole argument. Thank you. If, if you're going to stand up for me and agree with me, please go ahead. If not, <laughs> they, this podcast they, is over. Part of the whole thing is if it saves even one life, that was one of like the trending, you know, ideas. Oh, if it saves just one life. But people don't comprehend that economists make those decisions all the time. They never say it doesn't matter what cost it is if it saves one life. It matters the trade-offs. Mm-hmm. So when they set when they set safety regulations, take for instance a car, all those safety mm-hmm. regulations are set by saying what is the cost, you know, what is the cost to the consumer, what is the cost to the manufacturer, what is the cost of this and how many lives is it going to save? If we if if we walked everywhere, we'd have less car accidents. But we couldn't live 20 miles away from work. Right. They're always making those those trade-offs. They're never saying no and no other time have we ever said if it saves just one life. Right. It's about the trade-off between the two. And in terms of COVID, you're gonna you're gonna lose lives because of the response. You're gonna lose lives because of COVID. Yep. You have a trade-off between there. How much do you want to trade off saving lives for COVID? And how much are you willing to spend because of the response? It was always a trade-off. It was never an either-or thing. The, the relationship between, and just one of them, the relationship between unemployment rates and suicide slash deaths of despair mm-hmm. is well-documented. Economists have that relationship extremely well-figured out. So when you say, hey, yep. we're going to shut down the whole economy, you already know that's costing lives. There's not even a question on that. That was yep. not even arguable. And it's actually quite commonly known amongst economists that it's the quickest way to start causing deaths in a society is to put it under economic distress. Mm -hmm. And you'll see a, and you'll see a massive spike in deaths. Yes. Yes. So it was always like, you just, you just do these things and we're going to save lives. No, you're trading those lives off and it's not a life as a life. As harsh as that sounds, economists have always used different metrics. One of them is quality adjusted life years. You don't see a kid the same way that you see someone 80 years old when you're setting regulations. Amen. They're not, they're not considered the same thing. Just because that's not a normal part of conversation doesn't mean that those decisions aren't happening. They are happening. That's why in California, you have to have a rear-facing car seat for two years. And so anyone with young kids, you got to drive this monster vehicle because rear-facing car seats are the absolute worst thing in the world to deal with. Because they say, hey, that one-year-old is too valuable. You're going to have to suck it up and deal with it because we want to we reduce these deaths. But economists have always made those trade-offs. They're going to look at someone dying at 20 years and say, we lost 60 years of life. 
And they're going to look at someone dying two years before their life expectancy. And they're not going to call those the same thing. They're going to call them differently. They're going to say, we're losing 60 years of life on this. We're losing two years of life on this one. They've, they've always made that distinction. That has always been the calculation. But somehow with this, it, it's we're treating five-year-olds the same way that we treat 75-year-olds. Now, me personally, Crazy. Fucking nuts. Crazy. when I'm 75, I had my shot. Yes. I had I had my opportunities. I'm not going to say, hey, this, this kid needs to sacrifice the rest of their life so that I can squeeze another little bit out. I think – so, and 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 we're not saying that all seventy five year olds have to be corralled over here and jump off the cliff on the count of three. There's 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 a the the, the chances of dying at seventy five from the sinks are still extremely low, especially if you take fucking severe actions right away. What do I mean by severe actions? Stop eating added sugar. Stop eating refined carbohydrates, and make sure you get out and walk every day. Do not quarantine. Do not stay indoors. That is the absolute worst thing you can do. Do not put a mask on your face. The vaccine, do as you please. Well. Here's now that we're almost at year two, I think their estimate was that the average person who died of COVID had an average life expectancy of three years left. Three in the United States. I believe so. Okay. I'm not, I'm not hundred percent. Yeah, that, that sounds right. But there are, there are still, I was just, I read a list of like a dozen countries the other day where people, the average age of death was actually, of COVID was higher than the average age of death in the country, which is just fat like Switzerland, which is just fascinating to me that anyone with a brain could see that and think that there's anything to worry about, but go on. Yes. Three years. Okay. Well, go ahead and ask all these people who are at risk and say, Hey, is this how you want to spend two of your last three years? Yes. In California. Yes. 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 Great question. Great question. In California, we're going to be three years before this is new normal. We'll be three years until we're mm-hmm. at a new, you know, so-called new normal. Ask those people who were doing all this for to protect. Do you want to live like this for your last three years? Or do you want to take the risk and maybe have one great year left? Maybe have one year that you can see your kids and do all the normal things that make life worth living. Yes. Versus, hey. Living in total years, fear, hiding in you your You got three years <laughs> left. Now you got two years left because you're not doing all the things that keep you alive and healthy. Is that how you want to spend it? And I can almost guarantee you the answer is no. Because people that are old, they're all taking the mask off. They're all saying, what the hell are you guys doing? You guys are morons. That's not how, that's not life. That sucks. I'll take the chance. 100% of all the people I know that are like beyond 65, they're like, I don't know how much I got left. I'm not going to waste it hanging out at home with, with nobody. I worked my whole life so that I could enjoy these years. I'll take my chance. When the vaccine comes up, I'll get it. I'm going to avoid doing stuff I really didn't want to do anyways. But they're continuing to do these things and looking at younger people saying, man, you guys are crazy. You guys are totally out of your mind. Yeah. Hey, when your dad came to this country, how did he cross? Did he cross the border legally or illegally? Illegally. Illegally. Did, have you, how old was he? 14. Did he do it by himself? Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> where did he but, cross? Do you know where he crossed? What state? That's crazy. Uh, a couple different states. Oh, he, he crossed. He got, he he got went back. shit back. Oh, he did? Yeah, he got picked up shit back a few times. Oh, shit. 
He used to How joke. He he got deported, and then he said they just gave me a free bus ticket for uh, hanging out in Mexico for the weekend because I was back to work on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and this is you know for one of we'll we'll dive we can dive into cultural appropriation. He came in at fourteen years old. I love cultural appropriation. You should you should see my rap library on my now, iTunes. Oh, it's massive. <laughs> You remember the whole headlines about how children were separated from their parents at the border and all this other stuff? Yeah. My dad would have been one of those kids. He was 14. That's considered a child. That's a child separated from their parents, you know, picked up at the border. But it's not. 14 is not a child in other cultures. 14 is a man. His dad, that was, time, his dad was already dead. Yeah. 14 is a man in Mexico. Damn. So when he's coming in, it's not like, oh, this is this, this, you know, helpless child. No, this is just a young man. They don't see it the same way. God, so I was such a in. bitch at 14. I was such a bitch. I would have fucking been just sucking dicked across the border the whole way. <laughs> oh, my oh my God. It would have been so bad. <sighs> Crazy. Mm-hmm. Not because I'm Armenian. Armenians are usually badasses at 14. A disclaimer. It's just because I'm just, just a Berkeley pussy. Go on, but I but I've changed. I'm not quite. I'm not. I'm not a total pussy anymore. Okay, go on. Sorry. So, 14 years old, and is your great? Where's your grandmother now? Where's your dad's mom? She passed. Dad's mom. Yeah, my dad's mom died um, in the 80s. She was did 50. She, did she make? Oh shit! Did she make it here to the states too, or no? She stayed over there. She made it. Oh, okay. So she she actually she had him go by himself. And then he didn't know that she was already planning on coming. But she wanted him to go by himself to toughen him up and be a man. Wow. So she let him she let him go first. Then she had already planned on coming. She just didn't tell him that. Wow. <laughs> Damn. So he comes he comes up. He's got a couple cousins in LA that he initially stayed with. Uh, but he didn't know that she was already planning on coming. This was just her way of, hey, you need you need to be a man. And so I'm going to let you go first rather than you tag along with us when we come up. In Africa at 14, they, uh, if you're like it with the, in some sort of African tribe, they circumcise you at 14. In the great country of Mexico, they send you across the border on, a, on your first <laughs> solo mission. <laughs> and in Armenia, I don't know what they do in Armenia. In Armenia, you probably have to smoke a pack of cigarettes. Oh, my goodness. Wow. That is so hardcore. I wonder if your dad cried. I wonder I if when she did. told me he had to do it. I mean, I, can you imagine wow. leaving your mom at 14 to cross the border? You already lost your dad. That's crazy. But I guess he knew that there was a goal, at least. At least he had cousins here. I mean, that's something. I mean, I know I'm trying to put, like, some positive fucking spin on it. And, and, and then what would be the – and then, okay, so so he, so he makes it here and he gets kicked out and he, make, he just keeps coming. And then finally he's here here. How does someone like that eventually become, like, oh, he marries your mom and that, then he's legal? Yeah. And, your, um, and your parents are still together? Yeah, 40, 42 years. Wow, incredible. So cool. So I actually don't, I don't know what the whole process is on the in-between because laws change and different things change. So right. we had Jimmy Carter. So maybe that was, that's when it was. <laughs> and a big, a big part of that was, so a little California history. We used to have the Bracero program. 
in California, which ran after World War II. Spell Bracero. B-R-A-C-E-R-O. Okay. So where a lot of this immigration stuff comes from is that we used to have cyclical migration in California because we got all these, we got all this farmland. So every year, like two to 400,000 Mexicans would come to the U S work in California and the West coast. Then they'd go back once the harvest is over. So the immigration laws change. I think it was 65. They changed. And in 65, the cap from any country was 20,000. So in California, one year, you got 200,000 Mexicans coming over the border. They're totally legal. The next year, those same group of people come to California, but 180,000 of them are illegal and 20,000 are legal. Because it's people in Washington, D.C. setting these rules and not providing businesses the resources they need to function. Yeah. In California, everyone's like, well, we don't care. We need someone to come harvest these strawberries. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. So that's where all the, the illegal Mexican immigration starts. Because in California, they're not coming here for nothing. Right. Everyone comes here for work. So that ended. And so my dad came here in 70 and 70. Wasn't it crazy, by the way? I was just on that .gov site, and they've changed Latin to Latinx. That's yes, nonsense. Fucking wackadoodles. So These he comes here in 70. Yeah, go ahead. And in 70, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't the spin on immigration that there is now. There's like, hey, man, we, got, we need someone to come in here and, and harvest this. So they would, I mean, they pick people up and deport them and other stuff like that. But it's not like it is today where there's all this other stuff attached to it. Most people don't even know where all this starts at. And if you leave California or if you leave the West Coast, you go to the East Coast, like Latin means a lot of different things. Here on the West Coast, Latin is synonymous with Mexican. Mm -hmm. The vast majority of people on the West Coast are Mexican. So. I want to take credit for that. I really do. I think I deserve credit for that. Rose. <laughs> so like back then that was a, that was a different time. And it's yeah. just, you come here, you want to work. Here you go. Hey, is this a term? Is this, is this a term black scent? Black scent. Is that, is, is that okay to use that one? I'm, I don't want to, I don't want to get canceled. Canceled. Black <laughs> scent. Black scent. Oh man. I know it was, it was what do you what do you think? Man, two hours and forty-five minutes. Holy fuck. Do you have to pee, Graciano? I'm getting there. I actually got a I got an appointment in fifteen minutes. Oh, you asshole. <laughs> um, okay, one the final topic, five minutes. Um, you were you what, what was it like meeting Dave when he came to your gym? Why did he come to your gym? And 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 why are you why were you vocal on your Instagram about his departure? So three questions. Um, why did he come uh, to your gym? What was it like meeting him? You guys, um I, I suspect you're not a very talkative guy. And he's definitely not a talkative guy. <laughs> I'm wondering what the, that encounter must have been kind of weird. Like you guys just grunted at each other, did a workout, and he left. Did a few bar muscle ups, and he left. 
It was a little brief because we didn't have a class. Okay. So he was going to go duck hunting and then drop into a class. But this is. Oh, yeah. The Billionaire's Duck Hunting Club. Did he tell you who he's going duck hunting with? Uh-uh. Yeah, just fucking like the richest, speaking of uh, Mexican labor, some of the richest farmers in uh, California. Anyway, oh, another, another you story. You come out here, there's some, the kind of wealth out here is, is unfathomable to some people. <laughs> yeah, G5 farmers, G5 farmers. Some of the stuff out here, people don't even comprehend because they just see a bunch of country bumpkins or this guy has jeans and these dirty boots on, but. Meanwhile, he's, he's providing watermelons to fucking the entire planet. The nation, oh, yeah. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> so we actually didn't have a class because this is like the day. This is like around New Year's. It's uh-huh. during the holidays. So he just came in. He asked us about some stuff. He asked us about our level program. Uh, he asked us a bunch of stuff like that. And then that's the 50 to one program that I saw on your Instagram. No, we, for the gym, we have this. We. It was athletic level program. Now it's a wellness program. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I've seen that too. Okay. That'll be another podcast. Okay. So we had, we had that. He asked us questions and stuff about that. And then, um, he left and that was about it. We were only here for 10 minutes or so, hmm. but. On, Did you enjoy on, his company? Was he polite? Was he interrogating? What was he like? No, he was polite. He's just to the point. Yeah. And I, you know what? I don't think, I don't know. I don't know if he's a, he may not be a small talker, but he's very just to the point. Yeah. So with people, with people like that, it's easy to talk with them for a long time because there's kind of an understanding of like, Hey, we don't have to do this pleasantry thing. We don't have to do this whole like hazard day and how's this and all this surface level. You can just get right to the point. Ask the question that you, that you want to ask. You don't have to, you, you just, as long as you're respectful about it, you don't have to sugarcoat it and, and all this other stuff. So uh, we have plenty to talk about because he doesn't feel weird asking a question. And if someone asks a question that I'm actually interested in, I don't have a problem explaining it. Right. Mm-hmm. It's just not a big, it's just not a big old fluff sandwich of like all this stuff that no one really cares about, but how no do you do to make each other feel better? <laughs> so on, on Instagram, friends, you know, the, when people started coming out bashing Dave, People need to comprehend, like, that's the last OG. That's it. Like, that's – and for all the affiliates who have gone through these, some of these changes, Dave kept the originality of CrossFit. Dave was that symbol that, hey, we're going to stick true to these old-school values, this old-school fitness in 100 words, and that the mission is to combat chronic disease. That was always, you know, the rallying cry for CrossFit. You as an affiliate owner, you're on the front lines. You make a difference in your community battling chronic disease and adding, you know, life or adding years to people's life and adding quality to those years. And then without Dave there, you get rid of that message. Now the, the whole message is profit. Your gym is there to make money. And HQ is here to make money, which the customer of HQ is primarily the affiliates. So it's, hey, we're going to squeeze more money out of the affiliates. Hopefully the affiliates go and squeeze money out of the community. But we are, we are sacrificing the long-term, uh, the long-term survivability of CrossFit by showing up every day, doing what's right, 
making a difference in the community for short-term profit. And that is where CrossFit was, was never would have never gone away under different leadership. Because if you're really doing what's right and you're really making a difference in the community and you can make enough money to support your family, that business is going to be around forever. And what's best for our society is having lots of these gyms around for 20, 30, 50 plus years, always making a difference. Having one spot in your town that you can go, you're surrounded by people that care about their health. You're surrounded by people that are going to help you out and tell you the truth rather than letting CrossFit turn into another Orange Theory or another Jazzercise or whatever other fitness program that has come around, made a ton of money in the short term, and then we don't hear about them anymore. So that's where Firing Dave sends that message pretty clearly. Like this is just completely forget about what you knew of CrossFit prior to 2020. This is a this is a new brand with the same name. I want to I want to really really drive home what Graciano well, said. Good. And there's nothing wrong with making money. And there's nothing wrong with making a shit ton of money. But I want to show you something. There used to be something called CrossFit Health, and basically it was paid for by the affiliates. Greg would take all your fucking affiliate money, and he would invite all these doc. He would give free L ones to doctors to slowly re- make them realize that um that that the the CrossFit methodology is the way to health. And it was to bring in all these doctors from around the world and top scientists, top, top, top. I'm not talking about these fucking Instagram scientists. I'm talking about the real deals. And, uh, and he would bring them in and they would talk about the ills of modern medicine. And so CrossFit health was a massive, massive financial drain on CrossFit because it was just bringing, it was basically just building this library of videos and content information for the affiliates and for the world to slowly at the tip of the spear of the intellect show that like, Hey, um, doctors and medicine does not have the cure for the world's most vexing problem. And it was, it was, it was building, building. These are the real influencers, not you not 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 this bullshit Instagram social media stuff. The real influencers, doctors, scientists on the highest level, and they were all getting on the same page. And so it was all about telling the world, yes, showing showing how pharma manipulates data, showing how sugar is at the root of almost every single chronic disease. All these things. Now, CrossFit Health, to, and that was under a, 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 a woman named Karen Thompson ran CrossFit Health. Now, now. And, and Greg would have never tolerated someone like Julie Fouché in there. Not in a fucking million years. Not in a million years. Now I believe CrossFit Health is being run by Julie Fouché, and it's a money-making machine. It's about it's about it's 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 inviting the wolf, the fox, into the hen house. It's fuck, and that's a perfect example of what Graciano is saying. This was something that cost CrossFit a ton of money. To show the world that actually 86% of all of our woes and our medical costs um, could be cured in, in the affiliate by speaking to the people, the smartest people in the room. Now it's 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 become this superficial, just like it's just another, it's just another branch of the company that's trying to figure out how to make money off the affiliates through precision care, selling them supplements. I mean, it's just I don't understand how people don't see that. And I'm not saying that something's wrong with it. I'm not passing judgment on it. I'm just letting you know that, yes, what Graciano is saying with Dave gone, that flip will, is going to happen even faster with less transparency and with more double talk. They, they're they not even going to admit to you that this is happening. We're, we're not saying it's a bad or good thing. We're, we're trying to explain to you what's happening. Is that, is that well, fair? See, that's fair. The issue when we talk about profit, because I'm not saying affiliates should be doing charity work. 
Right. They should be right, making right. money. Yeah, it should they be 200 bucks a month. Yes. They should be making a very good living. The question is in the future, like if you if you're in a if you're in a town, as for the affiliate owner, you need to continue adding extra value for people because eventually you run out of people that are going to set foot in the gym. Once once CrossFit catches fire in a place where it's like, okay, all these you got all these people coming in the door when you first open your doors. And you can sell these people BS and make a lot of money very quickly. But at some point, two, three years down the road, these people need to continue seeing benefits. They need to continue getting fitter. They need to continue getting healthier. There needs to be people that that show up and be like, hey, I've been here for 10 years and I'm in incredible health. You have to keep delivering value. You need to add more value to your current customers rather than relying on just keeping people coming in eventually you're going to run out of people coming in. Mm. And when we get to that, or at a, at a minimum, that's going to slow down. And you're only going to have a certain number of people that have um, are going to start CrossFit for the first time. So how are you adding value to those current customers? How can you take mm-hmm. someone they've never exercised before and they're continuing to make progress for the next 10 years? When we say that they're, they're profit first, it's not overall profit or it's not long-term profit or how what how likely is CrossFit to survive. They're trading off all those things for short-term profit because CrossFit is now owned by a private equity fund. And when you're only thinking in finances, you're thinking we bought CrossFit. How do we squeeze as much money out of CrossFit in the shortest amount of time possible? Because we don't give a shit about CrossFit. Once we've squeezed all the money we can in the shortest amount of time possible, We're going to take that money and we're going to put that into a new investment. We don't give a shit what happens to CrossFit. We pull out in five years. So that's that's what needs to be understood. No judgment either. No judgment. Graciano's just stating the facts. No judgment. Not good, not bad. Just this is the way it is. You you have to understand that. So as an owner or as an athlete, you need to understand that. And that lets you know what's going on. Yep. You can. Di- it's not about it. you agree with it or disagree or you want a, it to go a certain direction. It just you first is. have to assess this is what it is. Then you can respond to it. And that is that is as simple as it gets. Well they want to squeeze all the money they can in the shortest amount of time possible. Then they're going to well take played. that. And what happens to CrossFit afterwards, not their problem. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, um, for the last three hours, you've heard uh, Graciano Rubio try to get in a word edgewise while I talk. It's always a, a <laughs> it's, it takes a strong man of his stature and strength and capability to be able to squeeze words in. Um, if he was five pounds weaker, he would have not been able to say anything. What we learned today is that uh, he has an intimate knowledge with health and fitness. He's extremely articulate. His wife's hot. Um, and uh, he's had his li- his life has not been easy. He's earned everything he's gotten and comes from a, a a long uh, pedigree of people who've worked hard to wherever they've gotten. He owns Valley CrossFit Valley View. Uh, he's in the I, Central Valley of, of California, right? Correct. And um, and it was a, a great three hours. And I never even had to get up and take a bathroom break, which is fucking remarkable. I'm going to buy a lotto ticket. <laughs> Thanks for being on, Graciano. Graciano, great I stuff, appreciate man. It.